0: This is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Groovy Tube. And it's episode 10. Ooh, the cracks of the Brady yes, Bunch. that's right. And today we're doing Brady Bunch season 3, episode 7 through seven through 12. And there are some classics. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Yes, you'll there's find a, out. There's an obvious classic, but then there's some smaller classics. Yes, there are. So season 3, episode 7, Juliet is the Sun. When Marsha is cast in the school play, she gets a swollen ego. Mm, She does. Season 3, Episode 8, one of my favorites. And now a word from our sponsor. Director Skip Farnham sees the Bradys coming out of Supermarket and decides they are ideal for his soap commercial. Yes. Episode 9, The Private Ear. Mm. Peter uses his father's tape recorder to eavesdrop On his brothers and sisters. Season 3, episode 10, Her Sister's Shadow. Jan is determined to establish her own identity when a teacher compares her to Marsha. Now, haven't we gone on this show before, Jan? I think we have. Episode 11 is Click. Carol and Mike are on opposing sides when Greg wants to go out for the high school football team. That's not very accurate. No, it's not. Episode 12, Getting Davy Jones. Marsha brags that she can get Davy Jones to perform for the school prom then begins vigorously to get him to it. Yeah, care. when she realizes that people actually took her fucking seriously. Wow. Well, okay. but it wasn't without merit. So, Julia is the son. Yes. It opens with Jan and Peter coming home. on uh, their bicycles. Yeah, and they're all excited and they're, screaming. Yes. Alice is making salad, as usual. But they're always making salad. Well, sometimes salad. she's putting a roast in the oven. Oh, air. yeah. Well, Carol's doing the roast this time. Yeah. But they tell Carol... That they got the parts of the palace guards in the yes. school play Romeo and Juliet, and Carol says, "Oh, that's so wonderful or something." And she said, "What about the other parts?" And they said, "Well, Miss Goodwin hasn't decided yet who's getting the major parts." Yes. But Marcia did try out for the nurse, so they were and but I she doesn't wanna, know yet. The phone rings. And Carol answers. It's Miss Goodwin. Do we know yet that Carol is on the no, committee? No, no. That just kind of comes up I later. know, that's weird. Yeah. She wants Marsha to play Juliet, which is kind of weird that wouldn't she have asked to talk to Marsha? I would think. I would think so, she, I mean, too. Marsha was, and I'm not, I can't totally remember how auditions work, but sometimes you don't get the part you auditioned for. Yeah, and they asked and you something else. No, but I, I can they were, remember yeah. being in like a play, like a senior play in high school, and I can't even remember what part I auditioned and it was I can't remember some thirties. Uh, oh, but, it was you can't take it with you. Yes, thank you. And I, I was, like that movie too. Yeah, was funny, funny. But I don't think I got the part I audition for it, and I found out who I was playing when they posted it on yeah, the board. Yeah, that so could be sometimes. But in any case, Marsha's going to be Juliet, and Jan and Peter are impressed, and Jan runs to tell Marsha, but, but Marsha has a weird reaction. Marsha seems at first a little, a little apprehensive, it's and awful. then go. Right, she goes into a total freak out. She is not happy. She seems a little perturbed, like in the first seconds. Yeah, she says, "Oh no!" And then she just freaks out, almost a Jan type I freak know. out. A it's little. Weird. And the next scene is the girls are and Marsha's on her bed cuddling some fluffy stuffed white animal thing that I can't tell what it is. Some yeah, kind of it, the stuff. It looks it's, like a dog or something. It, some stuffed animal. The way somebody who has just undergone a major trauma oh, would, Jesus. in a fetal so, position. So Mike and Carol have to come in and that's a lecture warning right and i want to say that i've noticed that it's a phrase mike uses and we'll have to start counting how many times he uses it he prefaces with the important thing is oh i didn't know that yes i just started noticing it so mike wants to know why she doesn't want to play juliet and she says well i didn't try out for Juliet." Then she says, "This is when we find out." She says to Carol, "I only got it because you're the chair of the play committee." Right. She feels like Carol pulled some strings to get her the part. And which wouldn't be wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility, considering the other shit that they've done when people like you know making their friends buy subscriptions to magazines or buying cookies you or would whatever. Think. That. But-, but yet they talk Marcia out of that nonsense. Marcia says. Julia is supposed to be beautiful and noble, and she's not either of those things. And then they reassure her, and Marcia says, you have to say that. You're my mother. Yeah. And I think we've both been in that Oh, position. yeah, we have. And they tell her she's a good actress. And Mike says, and I knew as soon as he said this. It's going to be taken the wrong way because almost every time he lectures somebody and gives them some kind of advice, they take it exactly the wrong way. And it's a classic Mike Atherin. Mike says, you are what you think you are. And Marcia says, so if I think I'm beautiful and noble, I will be beautiful and noble? Right, because he says, it's your belief in yourself that counts. Yeah, well. And this message... You'd think they would have smartened up by now, because this message, in various ways, have been, has been told to various of the children. And they and always take it wrong. He doesn't clarify what he means by that. One of Mike's things is, I think he means well and his heart's in the right place, but he has an aphorism for every situation, but never explains no. what they mean. And every single time... They try to encourage one of the kids to be who they really are and that type of thing, or be who they're not sometimes, which seemed to kind of be the same thing in their house. Oh, yes. It creates a Frankenstein monster, and you would think Mike and Carol would have figured it out by now. Yes, so they leave, and she looks in the mirror and does the Stuart Smalley thing. (laughs) (laughs) thing. And she says, "You are beautiful yes. and noble." And, yes. I'm, and, yes. that, and i and but then she makes a of, face. But I was thinking, "Uh oh." All I could think of was Stuart Smalley. For those of you who may not remember, on the Saturday Night Live a couple decades ago, and Al, Al Franken, Franklin, who's now a senator, of Minnesota, and he used to look at a wonderful the, senator. He, I met him once when I was running the Grandma's oh. Marathon in Duluth. I shook his hand when he was running for Senate. Nice. Sunday. My hand was all like full of. The power gel and sweat and he didn't snot care. and stuff. No, he didn't care because I'm sure he thought I was a voter. In <laughs> Can you remember any of the things Stuart Smalley used to say? Yes. I'm, I'm good, enough, good enough. I'm smart, smart enough. And, and got it, people, people like, like me. me. Like and he'd be, look in the mirror while he did it. Right. Telling and that's him, what it reminded me of. Building himself up because if you say it to yourself in the mirror, and then he'd usually. And 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 then he'd th- fuck you up. know, I was watching those again when I was doing research for our other crime and stuff, our other podcast. Phil Hartman's death. I did a thing about that. I was looking at other stuff on the Saturday Night Live app. A lot of those are really, really funny. They are. But back to Marcia, that talking in the mirror thing has become kind of a trope on the show. Every time somebody's in some kind of inner emotional turmoil, Peter's done it, Jan's done it, Bobby did it in the one oh, where he was the loser. Um, that's, uh, just about everybody's yeah. done it. Exactly. So anyway. In the kitchen, Greg and Alice. I thought this was a really cute scene. I think that Barry Williams and Ambie Davis have this chemistry. Have a very good chemistry And they have together. some scenes together. Because like the one where they were pretending driving was cute. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and you're seeing more scenes of those, I feel like. And I don't think they're ad-libbed. I don't think no, they would let them. but they just but have a good chemistry. They're, they're both good actors. I still say Barry Williams is a like very good other. actor. they seem to like each other. I think there's a... But I, go So on. Alice Tells him that she was in a play in high school. She played Julius Caesar because she went to an all-girls school. Yes. And Greg says that would be like an all-boys school doing little women. Mm, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, well, they could. Why not? She tells Greg that Marcia has a psychological block due to her lack of confidence, which she... Which Greg thinks is very smart, but then Alice reveals that she got... Mr. That- and Mrs. Brady. Yeah. Who's listening in the other room? Bobby, Peter, and Jan. They're doing a puzzle, I think, on that disgusting rug, and one of them, it must be Peter, indicates that they should listen. Maybe it's Jan. Yes, but anyways, the old family eavesdropping. Greg says, Marsha's a groovy chick or a groovy girl or whatever and Alice says, well, you know, if she heard it from you you know, maybe you should tell her that. And you know what this reminded me of? Them feeling that if words can hurt someone, then yes. nice things can help someone. Just very recently, yes. a Peter yes. and the personality yes. kid. So those three in the other room, Bobby, Peter, and Jan hear that too, and they look at each other like, hmm. Marsha's in the bathroom in that robe I don't like. Yes, getting ready for bed. <laughs> She's washing her face. But... <laughs> weird. You know what? Okay, I've got to tell you so, a Doesn't story. anyone ever knock on the bathroom door? Now? I don't know if this is the right time. Yes, I'm going to tell you the story now because it's funny. Okay. So we used to know this family when we were growing up. They lived down the street. There were, I think there were about five boys in the family was a year older than me and then his brother was a year older than him and I used to see them at parties all the time and we had this kind of relationship where they would tease me all the time. I was younger than them and they they had one sister in the family but she was older than them because we were both big families in the same neighborhood. We hung around with each other all the time. Our brother Jimmy was friends with I was at a party and was always nice the older it brothers were worried they weren't mean either but they would tease me relentlessly yeah yes. they never said anything that you know right so where i was at this party one night and i was with my girlfriends and and one of his friends who also used to tease me kept saying really nice things to me and it was freaking me out they are like, oh, if I was going to get married, you'd be the type of girl I'd marry and stuff like that. And mm. I was like, and, and I, I was saying to that. my friends, what is wrong with them? Like, they're acting really weird. And then later that night, they were laughing and they said, we decided we weren't going to be mean to you to see how you reacted. Mm. Like, it was like a joke. Like, yeah. they thought it was funny, though, because yeah. I did. I freaked out. Anytime people normally treat you one way and then all of a sudden start acting nice to you is a time to wonder what but they the fuck's thought it going was on. L- right, unless you're in the Brady family. Then and you just get... Then then you 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 just, just accept it. Yeah, accept it. just Marcia's accept just it. So she's in the bathroom. And they tell her she looks pretty and groovy. Right. Bobby and Cindy they, come in. They're like staring at her, yes. too. And she's like, what are you looking at? And then she's in her bedroom. And she's doing her homework. And Peter and Jan come in. I like the way they all do things in pairs. Jan wants to know how to say her line. Peter says harp, Hark. so yes. he only has one word. Yes. And so Jan says, should I say who goes there, or should I say who goes there, or should I say who goes there? And is like, just say it regular, who goes there? And Jan thinks that that's the most astute acting advice she's ever received. And is a terrific actor. Then Greg comes in, after they leave, they exit, Greg comes in and says that a boy wants to meet her because he thinks she's a really groovy chick. And what's that boy's name? Lloyd Leeds. And Greg says he even thinks she's groovy for a sister. Yeah. And she's stoked by that. Yeah, she doesn't feel... So she doesn't see that all five of her siblings weirdly buttering her up is suspicious. No, not at all. After he leaves, she goes back to the mirror... And thinks about all the compliments while she's gazing at herself. In and the she mirror. has another Stuart Smalley moment. Yes, she does. And so the next morning they're in the kitchen. Marsha comes in. She's very chipper. But one thing, too, oh. when she's looking in the mirror, I'm sorry, oh. I just forgot to mention this. The theme to Romeo and Juliet is playing a time for us. It goes throughout the show, Instead too. Instead of, like, lots of times they use that Brady theme. Because that came out in, like, '68, yeah. I think. Then the next scene is the next morning. And in, in the kitchen. kitchen. Marsha comes in. She's very chipper. And Carol and Alice are making breakfast. And she says that she's decided, since everyone else thinks she's like Juliet, she is. And then she's like, I'm Juliet. So she runs out of the kitchen as Bobby is coming in. And Carol says, oh, it's the power of positive thinking. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it's everybody telling no, her No, it's she's... everybody gaslighting her. Yes. And, you know, again... I, I know I'm harping on it, but this has happened before. I know, but they they have very, very short memories. They're <laughs> almost like their, their yeah. minds are erased. <laughs> I know, it's like That's, some weird yeah. asylum. So, in, in and the, Jan and Peter are... In the living room. Rehearsing their roles. One has a brew and one has a right, dust mop. Right, and St. Hark, who goes there relentlessly to everybody. And, yes, Mike comes in the front door but and goes through them and goes through the kitchen and feels up Carol. You know, because he hasn't seen her all day and he's horny. She tells him that Harold and Marcia are in the family room rehearsing. And Harold is not who I would envision as Romeo. He is a very plugged up, nose sounding guy. With he has glasses, glasses on. So you know he's, he's not a, unlike Harvey Klinger. Yes. He's a little more nerdy than yes, Harvey. Yes, and very stiff. And, and I hope he has mean, like a whiny voice. And he's not a good actor. And you he's know, not too bad, though. If this is mean, for were, a teenager. If, if this were a different show and maybe Marsha had more insight, maybe she should say, well, if this is the dud they got to play Romeo, then maybe being Juliet ain't that great shakes after all. Yes. But this is the Brady Bunch. Mm. And one issue that I see cropping up, and I know we've talked about it. The fact that people who are nerdy are not cool. Yeah. <laughs> While Harold and Marsha are rehearsing... Mike and Carol are spying yeah, in the Spine. kitchen. He's impressed by her acting and tells her she really is Julia. Yeah, well, another... And he isn't even in on the trick. And, he, you know, he doesn't seem to be have a crush on her or anything because no, he, he doesn't. doesn't want her to kiss him. Well, but it's funny that Marcia doesn't seem to mind that Romeo's a dud either. Maybe no, it doesn't, so it's caught it's up a, in initially being. doesn't bother her at all. She's bossing him around and kind of telling him how he should say his lines a little bit. Not as much as later. No. But she's kind of... Being bossy, but to her credit, he's kind of unsure of himself. Yeah. And especially when he doesn't want to kiss her, because they're supposed to kiss. And Yeah, but, you know, whatever. Then she's brushing her hair in the bathroom, and Bobby and Peter are pounding on the door. And Greg's wearing his purple disco outfit. I was saying, very groovy lavender shirt. Yes, he wears that a lot. Mike and Greg are now branching out and have several outfits that they wear a lot. Yes. Peter... In a lot of these episodes is wearing a long-sleeved white zip-up. Yes, he does. Those were very shirt. popular yeah. with the round thing on the zipper. Yeah. And Greg has a purple one like that. But Greg's purple outfit's the one I always remember because it's very right. it's a, groovy. It's like and a, a guy nowadays would never. Never. It's but like, in the seventies, they wore flowers. It was anything yeah, else. Yeah, guys weren't as in general clothes weren't clothes colors weren't as gender stratified. Yeah, that's like true. back then, when you went to buy baby clothes for a little girl you would find a variety of colors. Yes. Now, you walk down an aisle like in Target or Walmart or something and it's pink, pink, pink and when your and daughter purple. was born, when your daughter was born, I was committed. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to genderfy her by color cuz little girls start thinking that they have to like everything pink. And it marginalizes them. And boys are marginalized, too. I had so much trouble finding non-pink clothes for it's your daughter. Hard. I heard a story on NPR, of course, because that's all I listen yeah, to. Yeah, you're liberal. No, but that dog pink dog. and blue thing didn't start until the beginning of the 20th century. Blue, light blue was just as popular for girls as like pastel colors. I would say it was just maybe the past 20 years that it became... You have to wear pink if you're a girl. like babies. When we were kids, because mom had so many kids in such quick succession, a lot of the onesies and baby clothes and stuff. I'm sure they weren't. Yeah, but there was still pink and blue, though. I'm not saying there wasn't pink and blue. There wasn't. I'm saying it wasn't as strict. Memo to all people having kids out there. No matter what you do, you cannot change the gender identification of your child. That's true. Your little girl. May grow up to like race cars, even if you give her Barbies her entire life. Your little boy may like the little dolls, boys love Barbies, even if you give them dump trucks. So forcing a kid into a collar is not going to feminize or defeminize or masculinize or demasculinize. It. That's just my okay. answer today. Anyways, so the boys are pounding on the door and Greg's like, Marcia, get out of there. And she calls them peasants. And then we go into the girls' room and Marcia says she needs more closet space because she calls Jan and Cindy children. Yes, do you notice she always resorts to calling people children? When siblings I don't children. think I ever did that. And Jan and Cindy object to this because she goes and she, like, she smushes their clothes. And I want to say these girls and the boys too are never more realistic then when they're bickering and fighting. fighting. I know, it's true. And she's like, she's the star, and Jan's like, la-dee-da, <laughs> which I still say. And then they start screeching at each other, and Carol and Mike, of course, come in. And they're flummoxed by this turn of events. Well, and the thing that annoys me is they just tell Jan and Cindy to cooperate with Marsha again. It's like Marsha's being a fucking bitch. She shouldn't be allowed to take up the whole closet with her stuff. Uh, Yeah, I would think if anyone was going to get a lecture here, Marsha would get a lecture. The closet's divided into three sections. But I think what they were saying was, because they didn't really listen to the whole argument from what I could see, Marsha was also saying, they need to leave so I can learn my lines, and they're making all this noise. And so they told Cindy and Jan to go downstairs and play so Marsha can do her lines. So I think that's what they meant. They didn't really address closet thing, but they should have, because it's just like, that, that just makes her head bigger that, ooh, yeah, Mom and Dad are setting and, like. and once again, Mike and Carol are a little concerned. They lament that their plan created a monster. Yes, they do. No shit, because no Brady plan. Right. And also this particular dynamic we've seen before. Mike, with Carol's support, gives <laughs> the kid who's going through some huge self-esteem traumatic crisis an aphorism, and the kid takes runs it, uh, it. Runs with it. Runs with it. And Carol's always like, hmm. maybe maybe they took it the wrong way or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, how many times is this going to (laughs) happen before you get what's going on here? And so the next thing we see is Carol is on the phone soliciting ads for the play program, and Alice is doing the dishes. Peter comes in. Right. And he says Marsha's supposed to help him clean the garage. Well, then he does this physical comedy bit that reminds me of our brother Jimmy, who used to do the same thing. He does his it's it's kind of like an up up and away kind of thing. Oh yeah yeah and, yeah. And it's a thing. our this little dance. Thing. Yeah, this little that our brother Jimmy used to do all the time. Yeah. a very similar thing. It was like kind of you, funny. Like you do this little jig before you run off. Right, yeah. like exit stage yes. left, kind of thing. You see these little spontaneous things that you feel are almost not even the director. How can a director tell Peter? Mm-hmm. to yeah. Tell Chris Knight to do that that are almost their well, personal. are type of thing. Yeah, also, yeah just I, I, I like those cute little moments. With kids acting, I think if you're a good... Not that I'm an expert, but this is just my opinion. I think if you're... Everything a, on here is our opinion. Yes. I think if you're a director of ch- child actors, the best way to get them to act is to, as long as they know the lines, give them minimal direction. Right. Let them do what they feel, you know. And I think Lloyd Schwartz talked in his books about how he would, like the first season or two, he would pretty much parrot the lines Yes. The kids. But as they got more used to what they were doing, they'd get have a little more autonomy to do it the way they wanted. And I, when I see moments like that, that's what I feel like's going on. Marsha's up in her room brushing her hair again, and Peter comes in and says, she's Are you brushing your hair again? <laughs> and she says she has to do it three times a day. A hundred strokes. And he mentions she's supposed to help him with the garage and she says that Juliet would not do such menial labor and he leaves in disgust he he's just like fine yeah, I'll just fucking do I, it you know and he, maybe yeah. he feels like he'd just not rather fucking he'd rather not clean the garage with Juliet anyway. Yeah, he, I think that's basically what he says he's yeah. just like fuck it and so they're on in the family room and Marcia's practicing with Harold and Cindy and Jan are giggling in the doorway and Greg and Bobby are looking through the glass the oh, yes. window poor Harold they're shading their eyes against the glass that isn't there as, as they look in the window and Marcia gets very huffy and she closes the curtains and slams the door and she chides Harold on his acting and, and she, he does not like it he's no, like she Marcia and she basically calls him a dud yeah she's very insulting to him she's very rude poor Harold and she storms out and he's perplexed so so she's like, I can't, I can't. This is when I have started to wonder. It's been really well documented in Lloyd Schwartz's book, and we've talked about it a lot on the show about Bob Reed's constant oh, um, complaints yes. about scripts. And they don't mention this in the, any of the books. But, it's funny, yeah. they don't. And yet, some of the things that Lloyd Schwartz said, Bob Reed said about scripts on the show are things we're hearing Marshall yes. saying about Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, yes. and I'm wondering if it's almost this passive-aggressive. passive-aggressive thing where they're forcing Bob Reed, although he's defending Shakespeare, so that's not that hard, to counter arguments. Well, and he, knowing him, he might not have gotten because, that that's what they're doing. Maybe not. But for one thing, Marcia wants to change some of the words, and she's skipping. Well, that, that's what the next scene is. She's at oh, the okay, top of the stairs, the and Mike and Carol are helping her with lunch. It's the balcony. Right, because Harold left. Harold yes. is done, and, and she there, doesn't want to rehearse with Harold. no no she's, she's done rehearsing working. with him because no, he he's sucks. A yeah he sucks. and so mike and carol are correct they're correcting her because she's saying the lines wrong and it's and not she, that they know shakespeare by heart they actually they have the script, the script but story. she thinks she's better than shakespeare yes well but, and mike doesn't like that. well mike tells her you can't change the words and she says she doesn't like the words mike says that she's silly and she's getting carried away she's getting a little too big and she tells him that harold sucks Yeah. Well, she doesn't say those words. She doesn't say socks. And Mike and Carol just shake their heads. And one of them points out that at first the part was too big for her. I think it's Mike. At first the part was too big for her, but maybe now she's a little bit too big for the part. That's right. I also want to point out that one of the things I liked about this, being an English major and a fan of Shakespeare, we're hearing a lot of cool, nice Shakespeare in this. And I always feel like Shakespeare should have gotten a writing credit for this script. Yeah, fuck him. With the other, yeah, right. You and Marcia. We're at the school now, and they're in apparently a dress rehearsal. With Miss Goodwin. Marcia is dressed like Juliet. She looks very pretty. Poor Harold is having issues with his glasses. Wearing tight. He so drops his glasses, and Miss Goodwin's like, well, try it without your glasses. And the poor guy cannot, he cannot see. He can't <laughs> really? see really. he can't even see, it, like Marcia. And then while he's doing all that, Marcia goes up on the balcony, and he doesn't know where <laughs> know she he is. He don't know where she is. I'm and sorry. Miss Goodwin seems annoyed by yeah, that. Yeah, and Marcia's... Which I don't blame her. She's like, "What are you doing up there?" And Carol is in the wings watching some of this. But Marsha doesn't know she's there. Marsha doesn't know she's there because it's the typical Brady. They must not have peripheral vision. No. You can't. But Miss Goodwin lectures Marsha on her bitchiness, on her bitchiness, and also that this isn't the way we staged it. No, this isn't where you're supposed to you be. You can't this just is, change your mind. And yeah, you can't just change where what we staged. It's very. She explains that it's very intricate and every. Thing. And also that you can't change the words. And Marsha's like, I'm only trying to improve the play. Is it wrong to try to improve it? And again, we're talking about... I girl. hate it when people say disingenuous shit. Like, I know. It's like, fuck you. It's, when people say stuff like that, particularly when you're a supervisor, yes. and you have employees who you're trying to explain where you want something done a specific way, and that's the response, I've already explained to you how we're going to do it. And in this case, it's Shakespeare. And if Shakespeare could have been improved over the past 400 plus years, it's not Marcia fucking Brady yeah, I know. who is going to do it. Well, but you can tell Carol's a little ashamed. So, so Miss Goodwin, she says, rehearsal's over for now. Yeah. Because so she's like, I think she's had it up to her with Marcia and she's afraid she's going to punch her in the Harold. face. Harold. He's at his wit's end. And the, so Marcia and Harold leave. They don't see Carol. And Carol approaches Miss Goodwin, and they talk about well, Marcia. Well, Carol's very... And her bitchiness. Carol's very apologetic and ashamed, and she says, "My husband and I have tried to talk to her, and again, once again, and they just agree that they need to do something about it." And Now, we don't this know, is where viewers—no, we, we don't. But I want to talk so, when so, when we do find out what they do about it. I I don't think they went about it the correct no, way. No, they don't. No, they don't. And Carol's saying to Miss Goodwin, "Let's just hope it's the right thing." Yeah. And this is and at first I'm like, "What kind of trickery are they going to do?" Because it's been a year since I've seen this. But then when I see what they did, it's almost like the ultimate trickery in which they just cut. The next scene is Marsha's brushing her hair in her her room again. And Carol comes in and says that the program is at the printer right now. Marsha says, well, I wish Harold's name wasn't on it. Which is bitchy. Not very teamwork And he's awful. Harold's just awful. Yeah. And And Carol says, no, but your name's not on it. Which, Mm. See, I think that's horrible. I think what they should have done is said, look, Marsha, they should have both talked to her, uh, Ms. Goodwin and Carol, at that time. And I know this is a TV show, but I think the correct way would have been like, look, we want you to know you're about to be cut from the play. Because of the way you're acting. Because of the way you're acting. And we're going to give you a chance to turn it around. And Carol says, so we've decided we're going to have to replace you because of your attitude. And this is after, by saying the program's at the printer, you're saying the deed is done and we can't change it. And I know we say frequently, well, this is only a show. And I know they have to write a script every week and blah, blah, blah. But you can do the same show. And have that happen. Maybe you wouldn't have the outcome of what's going to happen in the next five or ten minutes. Yes. But think of a different outcome. You're fucking writers. Yeah. I mean, have it. It was just, I just thought, oh, that was really cold. It was cold. So. so um, not, not unprecedented in Brady. But, and Carol says, you're not on it. I saw you in a rehearsal. I saw how you were acting. And Marsha has a look on her face that you can tell that she knows that she probably was not. But, but Carol says, too, it's not all your fault. We encouraged you. Yes. Duh but you let it get to your head. And I'm like, Well, they did more that first of all they give her an aphorism and don't explain the nuances. And then they have the entire family. Although they didn't know the entire family. And uh, to their credit, they didn't tell the younger kids That's took it true. upon themselves. That's true. But then the entire family They learned it from their parents. So. Not unlike Pete with the I person. learned it from watching you <laughs> <laughs> But not unlike Pete with the personality kid. Yes. When you just blow smoke up someone's yes. ass, yes. instead of being honest with them, shit like this is going to happen. So Tina, the understudy, is going to be Julia. Mm-hmm. Marcia's so upset. And I, you and know, her realistic. acting was good when she was crying. Yes. And I could understand how she felt, because I actually thought that was a really shitty thing, and if that was one of the times, even though, like, it is a silly show... That I was thinking, if I were 15 and that happened to me, I would be devastated. If I were 15 if, I, I, I mean, Well, you know, like if you don't know. you would handle it differently. Yes, yes. Would. She didn't know it was coming. No. Nobody. They're just blindsided. Nobody warned her or gave her a chance Ooh. to turn things around or talk to her about it. No. And she, I think she was stunned. Her crying was genuine. Both she and Barry Williams, I think some of their best acting comes out When they're in a situation like yes, Barry is very good at anger too. Yes. Well, Marcia's too pretty good, but we're in the family room with Peter Peter and Jan are in their costumes, which are cute. Alice and Carol are there. I don't know mending their costumes. Marcia's not eating. The phone rings. Mike's there. Mike answers the phone. And it's Miss Goodwin. Yes. And Carol takes the phone, and Lady Capulet has the mumps. Oh, what are oh they going to do? Oh, my and, God. And Carol's like, well, if I can think of anybody, I'll... Oh, yeah, no, God, because the play is three days away but or would whatever. But you think Lady Capulet would have had an understudy, too. Yeah, no shit. In my limited high school play experience, there were understudies for the major characters but then there were other understudies who would do a few were for many of them. and also in Romeo and Juliet they have crowd scenes and stuff so there was probably yeah, a lot so of kids somebody... and you know what I was thinking of when I was watching this show is I know a lot of people didn't like that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes but I really thought it was I never cool saw it. it's actually not bad it's the script they don't oh, change wow, the script they Shakespeare's words. well I know mm. but it's like it's kind of no, a jazzed well, up version in, of it. I like that. Like when they have the town crier or something, it's a person on, like, a TV, like a, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh. Um, Marsha listening And she's very humbled. And she says, do you think they'd let me do it? Yes. She's very They very cut chused. her down to, just like the taming of the shrew yeah. type of thing. Yeah, it is Shakespearean. She says she'll do it and won't cause trouble, and... Carol says, well, it's a small part. And they hug, and Marsha has been tamed. Yes, she has. And Mike is wearing, I think he's wearing his blue velour shirt, which we haven't seen for he a is. long we time. Haven't seen and then the tag... Is after the play. Yes. And the whole family comes, comes home, in the front door. And they all run upstairs. So they're talking, Alice, the adults are talking about what part made them cry. Was it when Romeo killed himself? Was it when Juliet killed him? And then Alice thinks... I would say it was when Jan said, who goes there before Peter said, hark, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cute. And Especially once, because I practiced so much. I was waiting for there to be some joke, Alice not getting married or romance or some yes. stupid joke. So I liked that tag. Yes. It was nice that Alice wasn't making fun of herself. Yes. So the next episode, uh, from our sponsor, and I just want to say before we get into this, that as we talk about episodes, we talk about some of the things in our many reference books, but there are so many things, you wouldn't think it, but there are so many things with this episode that we're going to wait till after we get through the episodes today to talk about it, mm-hmm. so we don't get totally off track, but there are so many things. But it starts out with an outdoor scene at the grocery store. At a 24-hour grocery store. I noticed store. that, too, and I was wishing uh, it was in my neighborhood. Yeah. Carol and the whole family are bringing groceries The whole family except for Mike and Alice. Yeah. And Greg's wearing a striped shirt. Yes. I don't know why, but I always just notice it. I'm sorry. And there's a weird man He's got a neck scarf. And, well, I was going to say, for those of us who watch a lot of TV, he's obviously a TV director because he's wearing a safari, short-sleeved safari yeah. shirt and has an ascot. Yes. And the only people who would dress like that are TV directors. He's stalking them through the parking lot, looking, making his hands into like a box, he's like a very frame. He's per- perverse because he's hiding behind cars. Yes, Carol especially looks askance and at the him. And kids, the kids make remarks and Carol's like, just ignore him the way you would if a yes. pervert was. Yes, but Carol's wearing her pink camping can I noticed suit. that too. Yep. And I also, there's one cool shot when they're putting the groceries in the station And they show Bobby, from, yes. Well, it's shot from the inside of the yeah, station Yeah, that was weird. It was kind of cool. Now, Florence Henderson has a very nice figure, as Alice mentions in one of these later ones, that yes. you watch your figure, she says. Mm. But they always dress her in stuff that is unflattering to her, I think. I think it's to make her look like a mom. Yeah, I guess so. Instead of a sexy, sexy woman. Sexy. She's a very pretty woman. I don't like her hairdo, but I think she's... But it turns out the guy isn't a pervert. He's a t- TV director who wants them to be in a commercial for his very groovy product. Yes, they are exactly what he's been looking for. And the groovy product is safe laundry detergent. Yes, and his name is Skip Farnham. And the kids are very excited, but Carol looks a little dubious. Yes, she does. But by the time they get home... Uh, She's excited, too. And Alice is in the kitchen looking in the bottom of the refrigerator i don't know what she's looking for and marsha carol and greg come in and marsha has to run and call jane yes. she's going to flip the out friend, yeah. the one that we never see jane no, though, but she, is she the one that later episode she says she has to call too i don't know i can't remember they all are excited. and alice wants to know what 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 And then finally Peter tells her they're going to be on TV. And Cindy says, by a funny man who looks through his hands. (laughs) And Alice is befuddled. Now, at this point, isn't Cindy, like, fucking nine years old? And the thing is, there are parts where she's a very articulate young woman. But then all of a sudden, the writers, I don't know if it's for a laugh or because they haven't developed her character fully, they have to revert her back. Maybe Susan Olsen should have been more like friggin' Bob Reed. Maybe she should have, but she was a good girl who did what she was told and just went home pissed off about it. The next scene is in the living room. must be either the next day or later that evening. Skip Farnham is in the living room talking to Carol and Mike, and he wants to film in their house. And, and he gives them a contract to look at, but he's going to go scope out their pad. Right. <laughs> he's in the kitchen, and <laughs> Alice comes in, and he's like, Whoa, who are you, pussycat? Because yes. <laughs> he has a very groovy, a yes. very groovy way of And he says, I have to quote this, Oh, that face, like Frida, it's organic. And I'm like, does he mean Frida? Frida Kahlo? The only thing I could think of is Frida Kahlo. That's all I could think of, too. Well, she has an organic face, but Alice doesn't look anything like no, her. she doesn't. And it goes between them and Mike and Carol. Yes. And Greg's like, not to be crass, but are we gonna get paid for this? Which I would want to know yes. too. And this is what I'm thinking. He's holding a magazine in his hand, so I was assuming it was a car magazine. But then they're trying to untangle the legal gobbledygook of the contract, yes. and Mike says that yes, they are, and he and Carol have been trying to untangle the legal gobbledygook, but he says the money we each get is going into all of our savings accounts. Neither Carol nor Greg like that. Then Mike relents and says, well, maybe you can spend some more right. Well, Carol's like, can't we just have a little bit to spend? And so Greg and Carol kind of double-team Mike on that. And the next, they're up in the boys' room, and Greg shows Peter and Bobby what he was had the magazine. It's a very groovy He's amp. looking at an amplifier, and I'm like, doesn't he want a car anymore? Well, maybe now that he has his license and stuff, and he's finding he can drive yes. Carol and Mike's, and he needs an amp so he can... Pursue his rock star, which career. we never see anymore. But Greg thinks they'll make a fortune on the ad, and if they make good at that ad, then they can make more ads, yeah. and, and they could be millionaires. But I just want to say the boys are kind of skeptical of Greg making fun of him. But Mike had said when they were talking about it earlier, had implied that even he's happy with the amount of money. Yeah, they're that's going to be more a lot for what they're and, doing. So we're in the girls' bathroom. So their nightwear and the girls which is these heavy robes over. I know, is like Maybe in California people have their air conditioning on so high you have to wear flannel oh. robes no matter what time of year it is. The girls, it's a kind of cute scene yeah, where they act acting as though they're on commercials. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. It's a, one of those cute scenes yes. that make the show actually likable. And then Mike and Carol are in their bedroom, and Mike is still reading the contract. And he's Carol's upset because she wants to, him to get in bed so they yeah, like can have sex. Yes, because she she's excited by the thought of all that money. And he's at the desk going through the contract. And Carol says, honey, aren't you finished yet? And I was thinking if if it was dark in there, (laughs) and she was saying that it could have been a whole different scenario. But then... And then he's like, I can't make sense of this contract. I'll have to have our lawyer read it. Which he should have had him read it before, but I think it's the same day, so whatever. And then he says, I don't know how you women keep all the soaps straight. And then Carol has to women-splain the soap. And, yes, she goes through all the different... And... I have a big issue with what happens next. Okay, but in the process of her going through all these different... Well, first we use this, and then we use that. She admits that she did use Safe, the last soap they used before Best, but Best is Best. So that's what they're using now. So they use a soap cup. Mike is disturbed to learn that we, quote-unquote, because it's actually Alice who washes the... Clothes don't use safe, and how can we get up in front of other people and lie about it? And, and I'm like, like, what are you talking about? I, I, right, which I would be too. I'd be, like, and and also, it, well, let, let's go on because I have another. she doesn't get it, and Mike says, "Well, we're going to have to call it off." And she says, "I don't believe that everyone in that." She's like, "Everyone in those ads uses the products? and I think it depends if you're a paid spokesperson, then no. But I guess if they're trying to show a family, and, they're and, acting though. And, but Mike's like. Maybe they don't, but we're going to. But my thing is, can't they just go fucking back to using safe? Well, yeah. Can't they just go back to using safe? Well, she doesn't like it because it doesn't work as well, well as best. I know, I know. First of all, she isn't the one who does the laundry. Second of all, I can't imagine it was so awful that they can't go back to it in order to make this commercial and make all their money. I agree. But everybody is disappointed, yeah. But they but, but well, they seem like re- the boys are disappointed but their Greg's like, Well dad's right. They seem resigned to it, which I think is weird. And there's Alice and Carol in the kitchen. They're shelling peas. Yeah. They just seem to have given into it so easy. Yes, they're they all, did. Well, nobody's uh, trying to rationalize it or no, argue it. because they're stupid. Mike is on the phone, and he says he just talked to Skip Farnham, Mr. Farnham. And Mike is wearing this cool pink striped shirt. It's yeah, like Argyles it those, are in the stripes, yeah, you know. Yeah, and it has those little, little ap- shoulder epaulets yes. that were popular. And he's got his blue, gray, and rose maroon tie he on. does, yeah. Skip Farnham told him they won't be using... Or they haven't used... They haven't used safe because it's the new and improved See, Mike's safe. pretty easy to manipulate and like, oh, well, now we can do it. Big, <laughs> just fucking lying. And so they're going to test them both to find out what best and the new, which they use Versus now, and new the new safe. to find out which works best. And this, they are a very bizarre family. You and know I, what, though? I noticed that safe, it says biodegradable and stuff on the, uh, like, when she's holding it. I think because they're trying to make it look I know. Well, improved. it's safe. It's safe for the environment. Yes. That's a good point. But I just want to say. They don't care about that, though. No, I they think. don't. But I want to just say they're a very bizarre family. They live in a very bizarre reality. Yeah. And I found the whole testing thing bizarre. Yes, it was bizarre. They got all dirty. And Alice will be the only one who knows which soap is soap. They're going to do a test. They're going to all get dirty and wash their clothes. Peter sprays Greg with motor oil. I know. That's not going to come out no matter what detergent you're using. And the girl and Mar- the paint too. The paint, Marsh and Jan. Are, that's not going to come out. Cindy, Bobby, and Peter have some fun splashing each other with mud, which probably will come out. And when Mike comes home, Mike comes home from work. He's wearing that groovy maroon, like a Western style sport coat. And Carol's got her paisley dress on. Yeah, they have grooved it up. And there's two piles of laundry, A and B. And Carol and Mike are going to be the judges. They're going to inspect. Mike and Carol, to determine which is better, A or B, kind of the things are folded and in piles, just kind of flip it up. They didn't even look at the stuff. Well, now my thing is. They're not identical groups of clothing. When you're comparing two things, they need to be identical because there's so many variables. So have the same t-shirt, the same pants, the same everything. We may be having a Bob Reed moment. I know I am. But my first initial thought was don't have the kids go out and get dirty. What you want to do is take a pair of jeans, maybe a white Mm t-shirt, maybe something that's a little harder to get clean. Like socks or socks or something. Put the exact same dirt and the exact same yes. places on them. Mm-hmm. They should all be brand new, so none of them have yes. pre-existing stains or not ones yellowed. And you need exact same examples to make a determination. So this was not a scientific test. No. Maybe they didn't want it to be scientific because they wanted to choose. Yes. Say, well, and know. the other thing that I think is silly is, okay, so uh, Alice... Uh, can't, so they determined the pile, Group A, is the cleanest. And then Alice opens the envelope and all it says is Group A. So now Alice, my feeling is maybe she wrote down Group A because that's safe. And that's the one that's they wanted to win. That's what I to thought win. too. And also no matter how she did it, you would think the one person who knew the difference would take it seriously enough, if we weren't supposed to get that out of it, that she would remember which one was done with safe. It's the only thing. It's her only job. As people like to say, you have one job, they have to know which one is which. So they redo the test. Which is also totally ridiculous. They have to do the test all over again. And Alice has to do all that laundry again. Oh, well, it's her fucking fault. Yeah, fuck safe wins. And they, yay, they do the commercial. Yeah. They're going to do the commercial. Mike and Carol are at the dining room table with Skip. The next scene, the director... I guess he's the director of photography. Skip, is he a director or producer? He's a producer, right? He's the right? director and producer, and then the other guy, I think, Maybe is the... Maybe photography director or whatever, Director of photography something. Right. I the, don't know. The photoc- Assistant director? That sounds good. Whatever he is. We don't know these things. They're signing the contract, and he—he and he, and he looks at Carol through his lens. I just have I to think say, photographers like Carol because yeah, that other one did like, liked her too. But I also want to say Skip Farnham dresses in a very groovy way. If he wears like cheekies and, and stuff. Yeah. I know if you think Mike and Greg are groovy, I mean Skip is so groovy it'll make your head spin. Skip says we're gonna split now. Right, we're and they're split. like, "Well, what about rehearsing? What about rehearsing?" And, and they're very like tentative. And I would like. Skip to have told him, because as he's walking yeah, he yeah he says, no, he doesn't say that to them. Yes, he just says, don't worry about that. Right. Just and learn the go- lines. Yeah. When yeah. they're outside, their assistant director, I'm going to call him, agrees. And he's like, that's a good idea. No rehearsals. And Skip says, I picked them because they're a natural yeah. family, and that's how I want them to stay. Dig. Yeah. And we're, as the viewer, going, oh, no. And then we go back inside to Mike and Carol, and Do Mike's it. getting cold feet because he's afraid these guys are going to make us look stupid, which... I think it's a Robert Reed fear, too. I know, that's true. Although, we're going to talk talk more about this later, about Robert Reed's objections. I say it, I'm going to keep saying it. Every time I'm reading these books, I'm always surprised, because I don't see it in his acting. I don't see that he had any issue. He acts tentative and scared. You know, he acts like somebody who's nervous. Yes, he does. He doesn't act like, God, why am I doing this stupid fucking show? You know, he's really good. No, he does. And Carol says, you know what? Laura's cousin, Myrna, is an actor. She's not. Well known, but she might be able to give us tips. And Mike's like, "Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's call her." Like he jumps on that right away. He does. It's like and- yeah. And so we see them rehearsing. And Myrna's there. And we both thought she looked familiar. The actress's name is Bonnie Bolin. And it turns out she was in a bunch of things in the 70s, but nothing. Nothing later. So I've just seen her. But But you know, she kind of reminded me of the woman that played. She's a type. The woman that played the shy waitress on Alice. On Alice. She kind of reminded me of her. A little bit of her. But Mike and Carol are saying their lines, and they're very stiff and unnatural. And she's in between them, and she looks very anxious. Very anxious and upset. It's funny, though. Actually, I think she gives them, her yes. advice is good, but then her her criticism after they do it yes. is not good. It's not good. Well, she thinks The result is not good. She says no one's going to believe it, and they have to get motivated. Yeah, so so Carol's motivation is like, wow, we brought me well, well, a box well, first, of that stuff. Right, right. Because right. <laughs> first, first she goes over to Mike and says, you, you have to think of the guys in the office, and he's like, The guys in the office? And she says, Yes, because you're going in with these clean shirts and every like, day. How does he get his shirt shirts? so, so clean. clean. And Mike looks a little like, okay. And then Carol, like you said, her motivation is, Wow, he bought me this stuff, <laughs> and I'm making my husband happy because his shirts yes, are clean in I'm the like, guys in the office. Jesus. And Mike is like, I don't think I can do this. I just don't <laughs> think I can do this. And Alice is listening. Yes, Alice. The and one thing I'll say is she does, Mirna. she does a good job getting them feel confident. But unfortunately, when they act it out, it's very unnatural and, and bad because acting. And she's like encouraging it. She's like, oh, that's good. Yes, and, and also, I think anyone who acts for a living could tell us this, and I'm going to speculate that somebody giving you a tip Kind of like Mike and Carol telling Marcia yes. to be themselves or Pete to go get a personality. Someone just saying, just giving you a five-minute little seminar on motivation isn't going to make you a good actor. And it could go the other way very badly because you need more than five minutes. And Alice, yes, as you said, she's eavesdropping. So we know Alice so is going to get like, motivated. She thinks she'll try it, too. She likes that advice. Alice is like, hmm, Yeah. yeah. The next day they're, I'm assuming, or... or whenever. It's Saturday it morning at 9. Ah. When Skip and when the Skip crew and were going to show up. And I'm wondering if it's some of the real crew. I, and I was watching the reactions to, like, the stuff that was going on, and it was funny. I know it was. Skip and the assistant director guy are going over the, what they're going to say in the commercial. He goes over to Mike and Carol and tells them what they're going to do. You know, you're going to be here, and he's going to come in. And Carol's like, well, aren't we going to rehearse? And he's like, no, no, no. I'll tell you what to do. Don't worry. And all of this could have been avoided if he had simply said, "Look, I picked you because you're a natural family. Just don't worry about it. This is what I want you to do." Right? Maybe the writers are trying to stick it to directors a little I with think this episode, so. but. Mike comes in. And they're very, like, stiff and fake. Also, when they say they're lying. Skip, yeah, Skip's not happy. Well, Myrna had also told Carol to be really loud. Yeah. So they, like, shout their lines, and they way overdo it, and And Skip... is very unhappy. He says, cut. She's and like, cool what are down. you doing? And, yeah. the, and she's like, I'm motivating. Oh, yeah, that's I right. thought, yeah, my husband's <laughs> brought me a box of this stuff. And he's like, yeah, wow. and then he keeps saying to Mike, but you're my rock. When Mike first came in, he's like, where's my rock? Oh, so yeah, Mike's <laughs> his rock. And so now he's like, you're not my rock, you're a feather. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and he, yes, he gets very annoyed, and he's just like, go in the living room and relax. And I he can't. goes, where's the kids? Bring in the kids. Yeah. So the kids all come running into the doorway, and they're all covered in mud. And they're all, like, coming as one, like, group covered (laughs) in mud, and they all have these, like, weird glazed looks on their face. (laughs) And Skip's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Only he doesn't say fuck. No. Skip is freaking out. And he's like, what are you doing? And they're like, we got extra dirty, because Greg, or one of them, says, well, we know that safe can get us clean. And then, I think as Bobby says, we were motivating. And he's like, Yeah. and so he tells them yeah, get dirty but not that dirty go change your yeah, clothes he's clean, clean up clean dirty not that dirty and then he's like okay the housekeeper yeah <laughs> you know and he loved Alice yes Alice she like dances <laughs> in she it. she's wearing <laughs> an evening gown and she has these curls stuck <laughs> to her like, hair like, like, he's like what's, on this? what's with the spaghetti and she starts dancing with the yes, box yes. around the kitchen yes. the box of safe <laughs> and he flips out so he brings everybody into the kitchen he's like what the fuck yeah wow and then he finally explains very briefly I... <laughs> You know. Yeah, he doesn't give him a chance to try again no. either, which is weird. Well, time is money. I know, I know. But they're like, well, we took some acting lessons, and he's like, Ugh. and he's like, my nice <laughs> normal family is a bunch of dingalings. And then, I know, and then it's funny too when he's leaving. The other guy, the the guy goes, you know who? Or he? No, he says that reminds me of that horrible actress. And the guy, and he goes Myrna, and the other guy goes No, no. Myrna. And he's like, he says her full name Myrna, Myrna. Myrna Carter, and, and then they leave. And my thought was, so the tag is. Carol's reading a letter, and she's like, I've read this letter six times, it's so confusing. Carol doesn't understand the manner of payment, even though the letter cites exactly where on the contract... Well, the letter says even though they didn't do the commercial because they had a contract, they will be compensated. And, well, maybe Mike will know when he gets home. And we don't have to worry about it for long. Because the truck backs into the driveway. We have our typical blue-collar truck driver. And he has a little dolly that has got a case of 48 boxes of safe. And Carol's like, what are we going to do? Because he's like... You got two thousand. Yeah. And then she goes, Oh, Alice. I know, like it's Alice's fault. Alice is like, Fuck you lady. Yeah. You know what? Just fucking buck say... a box. People will buy it. Make we're... two thousand bucks. So and okay. we're gonna talk about, again, we're gonna talk about this more at the end. So on to the private ear, which opens with Marsha. I just want to say we've watched the Brady Bunch enough now to know when Marcia acts the way she's acting, she's in love. Yes, she comes mooning into the room. And she's walking through the house in a dreamy state. She seems unable to hold herself up and has to lean. Again. But she's not on drugs. No, well, love is a drug. Uh-huh. Love is the drug I'm thinking of. Halfway up the stairs, she stops and just runs the rest of the way. And Jan's doing her homework. In the girls' room. And Marsha wants to tell Jan a secret. Well, she says, do you see anything different about me? And Jan's like looking at her. Your eye is red (laughs) bloodshot. And then Marsha makes her promise first. He asks her if she can keep a secret, which is a bad question to ask in that family. And Jan's like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And Marsha makes her promise. And, yes, Marsha's in love. And who is it this time? Chan says. Which isn't an unreasonable question, because Marsha has got quite the roster of guys. In... Marcia says, "Well, those were kind of crushes, but this is love." And Jan's like, "Well, what's the difference?" And Marcia's like, "Well, what is there a difference between a shooting star and a firecracker?" Which yes. <laughs> is a line I've always, a line I've always remembered from that. And then, and she also tells Jan she's happy, but she's miserable. And yes. Jan's like, "I don't, I do not yeah. under- I wouldn't want to be in and love." Then, and then Jan's like, "Okay, fine," and leaves to go get and well, some no. milk. Jan asks her who it is, and Marcia says, "Andrew Whitaker." Oh, and Jan's sick. like, "Wow!" I know. This <laughs> <Just laughs> like is always Jan's reaction. <laughs> I know. Jan has to go get a glass of milk because apparently doing homework is so arduous. And Marcia reminds her as she as she's leaving, remember, don't tell anyone. You swore. And Jan's like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus. Marcia goes out too. She goes flouncing out of the room and the bathroom door opens. And Peter comes in and removes a tape recorder. And that's one of those big real to real ones. Exactly. So he rewinds and it goes, as yep. so it rewinds. And he listens and we find he's been taping that conversation. Yes. And I just have to say the sound quality Quality is great on the tape I have it something to say later about okay. one okay. of the things he tapes And I that also bugs the s- crap out of me okay and I also want to say in that scene it struck me that Eve Plum's acting has really improved yes. over the couple of seasons and although there are s- there are moments but she's she's, she's gotten much better yes at this. she has Marsha's in the family room on the couch she's reading and reading look Peter comes in whistling. Acting weird. Acting he very, stares at her and He's that, acting very suspicious. And Marcia should know by now. Yes. He's staring at her and then he he's, grabs a chair and sits down and continues her. to stare yes, at he's her. And she's just like, hey, what's that? What what are you looking at? And then he parrots back at her. Yes. He says, You look happy and miserable all at the same time. Mm-hmm. She says, "You know something," and he's yeah. like, "Oh, I don't know anything. I don't even know the difference between a shooting star and a firecracker." Yeah, and she is. She's like, Jan. Yeah, Jan's she gets this pissed off. Still out drinking her face. that milk, so it must have been a. And, and she, she confronts and Alice. She confronts her, Alice yeah. is standing there, so Jan and Marsha are in front of the counter, and Alice is behind at the sink. You know how they have that weird island that's like an L shape. And Marcia basically breaks up with Jan. Yes, Marsha's <laughs> like, I can't remember the conversation, but it's like, you told you know uh, you, who you, about you know, know, about know who. who uh, and and now gonna, me all over you know where. And Alice is like, ooh. Alice is concerned yet confused. And, yeah, Marsha says, this is the end of our sisterhood. Yes, the end of our and sisterhood. And they break up. And Carol comes in. And Jan continues to protest her innocence, though. Yes. She's like, I didn't tell yeah. anybody I did it." Alice is very concerned. And Carol comes in. Carol's like, what was that about? And Alice is, and I don't have the exact words, but, well, you know who told you know what, blah, blah, blah. And Carol's like, well, I'm glad you cleared that up. And then we're in the boys' room. And Greg is fixing something. So Peter comes in and says, what are you doing? And Greg's like, what does it look like I'm doing? Greg is very sarcastic He's fixing Peter. a clock. Marcia comes in, and Greg ask Peter to leave because he needs to talk to Marsha about something yeah and Peter gets kicked out and Peter on the way out he, <laughs> it's very obvious I know goes under the bed to turn on the tape recorder and Greg's like what are you doing and Peter's like I dropped something I'm picking it up do you mind I would have been like well what did you drop yeah I didn't hear you drop anything but Greg is focused on what he has yes. to talk to Marsha there about. are lots of secrets in this family Peter starts up the tape recorder And leaves, and they don't notice. No. Greg's in a jam, he tells Mm Marsha. He took out the Red Badge of Courage from the school library 40 weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's 40 weeks overdue. So I was thinking, 50 cents a week, probably. Can I just say something? Libraries don't charge more in overdue fees than what the book cost. Maybe at his school they did. I know. It's against the law. Is it really? Is there a law? (laughs) Plus, it's a school library. It's a school library. So he get in trouble no matter what. And also, I was thinking, not that, I'm sorry, I'm nitpicking, but a book like The Red Badge of Courage, they probably have Third plenty of copies. Dozen. In fact, remember in high school, they would pass out the same dog-eared, yeah. yeah. torn, written in yeah. copies yeah. over and over, over and over. Yeah. We didn't get um, them out of the library. Well, and he tells her he had to pay the fine, it wiped him out. And he doesn't want Mom and Dad to know because he'll get a lecture. Cause Yes, yeah, he knows well he will. And it's his third infraction. Uh, and I don't know if it, if it was his third library infraction, his third infraction at school, or his thinking, third infraction with Mom and I Dad. I assumed it was the library thing, but maybe, yeah, it, maybe. I don't know. But, but she says needs, she'll find, she'll Right, he needs lunch money and she'll lend it to she him. She said no fine, problem. no problem. So later, they're in the driveway and the Greg and Peter are shooting hoops. And Peter is being very obvious. Peter can't help himself. He cannot. He asks Greg, "Hey, you read any good books lately?" And Greg's like, "Why are you asking me that?" And then Peter's like, "What about in the past year?" Yeah. And Greg's like, "Uh." What? And then Peter asks him about the Red Badge of Courage. About the, I heard it was really good, but the librarian said it's been out for almost a year. Yeah. I went to take it out, and Greg blows up. Yeah, and goes storming into the house, shouting Marsha's name, and Peter runs away. Yeah. And Greg and Marcia start fighting, and Mike drives up. And he's wearing a groovy gray suit, but yeah. he's got his pink striped shirt and that tie on again. Yes, and he's like, "Why are you kids yelling at each other?" That's he has crazy. a bright little present, in a his little hand. red present. He asks them. What's going on? And the, and Greg's like it's private. And Mike's like have a good argument. I know. Then. Yeah. Mike strangely leaves them. To well, their they're argument. teenagers. I feel like he feels like once they're teenagers, yeah, they can fight. Especially, you know, I'm thinking of teenagers. Well, kids in general. We're much more, treated much more older than they are now. Yes. And we're admittedly older than, like I'm much, like 20 years older not, maybe not that much older, but I'm a lot older than a lot of the mothers of the other kids at school. Mm-hmm. And Hannah, like I've said is six. And I walk her to the bus stop every day, which is at the end of our street and she picks up the bus. I mean, then I think about it, when we I used was... used to wait by kindergarten, Well, not, we didn't, I didn't take a bus when I went we to... We walked. We yeah. walked to school. I was, I was her age, most, most of the time walking alone because my brother didn't let me walk with them. and i'm thinking but like teenagers the parents were pretty hands-off like in our other podcast when we talked about like Mar- martha moxley murder i mean teenagers the parents left them alone a yeah. lot i mean yeah. they were on their own yeah you babysit when you were 13 that's right yeah you know? anyways mike and carol they're in the bedroom and they're gonna go be going skiing they're going skiing they're going through the ski clothes and mike has bought her a new little ski jacket yeah which she puts on. And Carol mentions that Jan and Marsha were fighting. And Mike says, that's funny. Marsha and Greg were fighting. i yeah. surprised they'll say, what the fuck is up with Marsha? She's fighting with everybody. And guess who else is fighting? In the family room? Mm-hmm. Bobby and Cindy. Mm-hmm. So now everybody's fighting. And apparently, and we don't know exactly I mean, what they're fighting but about. But apparently, Cindy, Cindy, Bobby thinks Cindy tattled. Which is actually not out of character. Out of character. That's what I thought. He was chewing gum in school. Yes. And, and uh, she told he got in trouble. He got to, sent to the principal's office and he thinks she told somebody. I yes, don't know who because Carol sure and who, cause Mike cause don't well, know. Yeah, they all seem it. to know. Greg comes in and he wants to know what's up. Bobby tells Greg, yeah, she mm-hmm. told on me, and Cindy denies it. We're at the dinner table later and that evening. Nobody's talking, and Mike and Carol are a little perturbed. Yes, they know they something's don't like because no one's talking. So Mike orders them to and talk, and he also acts really gay when he does. And not about the weather. Marsha starts, and pretty soon everybody is fighting. And who's sitting there grinning and eating away and not fighting or saying anything but Peter? Peter you don't think that'll get by Mike and Mike Carol? Mike and Carol exchange knowing glances, yes. and you know what this reminds me of. What? Another episode where they were at the dinner table and the vase started leaking, then everybody really? came to them and confessed except Peter. Except for Peter. So once again Peter is the odd man out. And we are after dinner in the den, Mike's den, full on lecture mode, Mike yes. and Carol, Peter, yes. and they ask him what's going on, but he readily admits what he did. He he, does. he him. It is a joke. Because first Mike says, there seems to be a leak in the Brady administration. Yeah, I know, I think Carol dutifully laughs at Mike's joke yes, as does. the wife. And he admits, he's like, yeah, I had, you know, I did it as a joke. Although, yeah, it might have been a joke, but it's also kind of weird and manipulative the way he... Well, he is in a weird and manipulative family. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a joke. Actually, there are a lot of issues. Yes, well, Mike did. says you could go to prison for that. Although and Richard Nixon didn't, and Pete and Peter's like, "What, my brothers and sisters would sue me <laughs> or whatever?" And Mike's just like, yeah. uh. and Peter's like, "Well, I'm really sorry if I," and then Mike's like, "Don't apologize to me. You got to go apologize to them." Yes, but again, in real life, this would I think it would be a symptom of an issue the kid was having. Well, yeah, but. because it's not just the fact that he. Tape recorded them. It's the way he and then used, used it, it like he to talk. The way he was talking to—I don't know—it's yes. just really creepy. And they're all in the family room, and Peter apologizes, and they all kind of forgive him, and yeah, he asks them for forgiveness, and they they give it to him, and they kind of apologize to each other about accusing each other. And Jan says to Marsha, "Yeah, I can see why you would think that about me." And they say stuff like that to each other. I see some payback coming. Yeah, well, Greg and Marsha, yeah, are. Are like, wait a minute. Right. Which you knew was going to happen because... That's unfair. He didn't get punished at all. Right. And frankly, I don't... I didn't find Pete's apology sincere they want to give him a taste of his own medicine. yes he comes up with a plan Marsha's right on board and he's like let's give him something he'll listen we're in the girls room greg and marcia and he's and got they, his purple outfit on i know and they have the tape recorder yeah <laughs> and then greg's like now i can't remember how he starts the conversation but she says whatever do you mean gregory <laughs> yeah and he's, and he's like, like no he's like yeah boy is pete gonna be surprised or something And she's like whatever do you mean gregory and he's like you're not the Queen of England right. or something. It natural, because they need to sell it. So the gist of their conversation is that Peter got an A in geometry. geometry. They're going to pretend to go on their ski trip, but they're really going to throw him a surprise party, and everyone's going to get him presents. And the thing that bugs me about this is we'll see later, I'm pretty sure Greg says he buckled down and got brought home an A, but then later when they replay it, he says, and bang, he brings home an A. I yes. might be wrong, but I'm pretty they, sure it's they, different. And which bugs me because there's no reason why they couldn't play the same audio in the, you know, when they're producing the show. Not to be Bob Reed. And it's funny, not funny, but this must have made a big impression on me because my entire life, including recent work history, I always joke when I feel like. There's something going on I don't know about or something. Like, oh, maybe they're going to throw me a surprise party. I'm just like Peter Brady. Very few people ever knew what I was referring to, but maybe that has to do with people I would make that joke to being decades younger yeah, than me. that could help. Yeah. So the boys' <laughs> room, the next scene, Peter's on the bed. Greg comes in with the tape recorder and accuses Peter of taping them. He's like, okay, wise guy. Right, and he lectures him um, and starts lecturing Peter that this was, Marcia found it in the girls' room and it was running, and he was in there talking to Marsha or something like that. And Peter, you know, is genuinely like, mm-hmm. yeah, "I didn't." Do but it. I also think this is kind of entrapment. It is entrapment, but they're not uh, entrapping him into doing something wrong. I know. He's just trying to get but him it's to still, listen. It's, a, it's kind they're of a him slippery. So, well, like, uh, kind of like Dateline Predator. It would be it would be entrapment if Greg did something. To make Peter yes. tape something. Yeah, okay. But... He's like, here, take this and put it back in. Dad's dead. But, of dead. course, he can Well, come on, listen. wouldn't you? Yeah. He hears what they said, and he's such an idiot like... That it, he believes it. He, like, duh. I know. Like, wouldn't you be the least bit suspicious? You, you would think. But nobody in this family is ever suspicious... Greg is listening at the door, so he knows yes. that Peter has heard it, and he's yeah. grinning, and he gives the thumbs Marsha up. Marshall the thumbs up, He she gives, gives it our the, he her the okay sign. Yes. And next thing we see is Pete is in the kitchen peeling potatoes for Alice. Yes. Alice is making salad again. And, I love they eat a lot of salad. Yes, they do. And he hints very heavily that he needs a new baseball glove, because they say in the tape that everyone's going to buy him presents. Yes. And so he hints very heavily that he needs a new and baseball Carol glove. And Carol comes in wearing this Furry, Somebody. and it's, it's like, a furry hooded. They're deck. in California, yeah, but they go, they are going skiing. There are big the Sierra Nevada or whatever I range know. that has snow when you go. Fuck, yeah, you're not gonna go skiing if there's no if there's no snow, you're not gonna go. Skiing. I know that. People from California, please tell her. I know that. Jesus, I know they do. It just seems like she's wearing this, like. Oh, Percha. this is where, I think it's real fur with leather things, like yeah, strips on it. Yeah, Peter would not like it. And Peter okay. says he hopes they have fun on their ski trip, and then he starts giggling. Yeah, Carol's kind of like, what uh. the fuck? She kind of gives them. And a little... then Carol's like, oh, my ski pants that I used to wear still fit me. And Alice says something about, well, you watch your figure, and then she makes some joke about her own figure. Yes, I don't of know, course, because she has to demean herself. And Peter hints about needing cowboy boots. Brown ones. And Carol and Alice wonder why he's hinting when his birthday is month. And then we see Mike trying to type in his study, but Mm -hmm. there's something wrong with the damn typewriter. And so Peter hints for a typewriter. Well, first he says, hey, I waxed the car and mowed the lawn. And Mike's like, good. And we find out that Peter had already mowed the lawn, like, once and... He's going to mow it again, and he's mowed the lot. Mike is very confused what, about Peter hinting about the typewriter. as He he knows he's hinting just like everybody right, else. Right, but he doesn't get why Peter would want a typewriter. And like Peter's like, if I if I had my own typewriter, I'd let everybody use it. And Mike's like, like okay. Yeah, and we're in the family room now. Greg and Marsha are playing chess. Right, so I think this is the first time we've ever seen Brady's playing chess. It seems like Greg is teaching Marsha. Yes, it is. And when you he think has about a it. a shirt on, too. And when you think about it, this whole thing is like a chess game. Ah, and the reason I say that is because I, I, I have a friend who plays chess. He's very into chess. He hates it when people, and I agree with him, and now I notice this all the time in books and stuff, when people compare things to chess. And he's like, yeah, anything complicated and intricate, people have to compare to chess. And it's true. And they don't compare anything to chess, but I did wonder if it was supposed to be a metaphor. Hmm. And Peter and think hints they think for, that deeply? No, I don't. He, yeah, Peter comes in and, do you want me to do something for you, he says? They're like, nothing. They know what's going on. He but, thinks about, he hints that he needs new records because his are scratchy and warped. And also another generational thing. Anyone born probably 30, it's probably been about 30 years. And I CDs would say 1991. I bought my first CD in 91, the best of Dave Mason, in 1991. Mm-hmm. Don't you like Dave Mason? Mm-hmm. You Okay. Fun? I, I was feeling at this part. Greg and Marcia laugh. I would think I mean, at this part that this maybe should have been the part they start when they started feeling bad. Yeah, but they don't. But they apparently They're don't. unrepentant. They think no. it's funny. Chess players can be very cold. Back in the den, Mike is still fixing his typewriter, and Carol comes in wearing the the furry jacket mm. and makes the racist comments about Eskimos. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, apparently Indians aren't the only indigenous people. She says something about. Yeah, she calls Me. him the big hunter, and she could be his little Eskimo. Yeah, whatever. And um, it's like, oh, And okay. Mike gives up on the typewriter. He says, I'm going to just put my notes on tape. Yeah, there you go, Mike. Carol gets the recorder. And then she wonders why Peter mowed the AstroTurf lawn twice <laughs> yesterday. And Mike thinks he's trying to make yeah, up he says maybe he he he's contrite. For and some reason, Mike hits the play button. Maybe he's just checking to make sure he's he's not going to tape over anything Well, maybe anything he wants him. to see what the tape on there yeah, is, yeah, that's so he doesn't true. tape over anything important. And they hear Greg and Marsha. Yeah. It's funny how it's back to the be- like beginning yes, of the it's conversation. Yeah, like so somebody rewound it. Maybe Peter rewound it after he listened to it. But Mike and Carol decide on some reverse trickery. Well, they figure it out. We don't know yet that they've done that though. They listen to it and they look at each other. They figure out what's going on, but maybe I just felt like they were going to yeah. at this well, point you know. resort to some reverse trickery. We're in the driveway and Mike says, see you Sunday night. And Peter says, sure you will. <laughs> and Greg and Marsha overhear him because it's when everyone's going back in the house. They laugh still. They still, still they're, they're still laughing. not feeling bad. And then we're in the boys' room and Peter is dressing up. Yeah, he's putting like a suit. And I, it made me feel bad for uh, him. As bad as he was to do what he did. I, this his- is what I always pictured when I pictured for decades now this whole scenario of there being a conspiracy and him thinking there was going to be a surprise party the thing I always remember is him in that little suit so there was a time once in my life where I thought people in my life were planning a surprise party for me <laughs> and I it was, it, you, I know you think it's funny and I thought it I thought it right up until I realized it wasn't happening why did you think that did they lead you to believe that I don't want to go into specifics about it. It was a certain occasion, and in the past, there had been surprise parties. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And And, there were other signs that it would have been happening. And it was a logical... Yes, it was a logical assumption. Yes. That never panned out. Well, you know... But I still had fun. I had my sister with me, my little sister, Nikki. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we were old enough to go out drinking, so that's what yes. we did. That's my sad story, that mm-hmm. you laughed at. I wasn't laughing at your sad <laughs> story. We all have sad stories. I was laughing because... It, I wonder how many times it's happened to people. I mean, when you legitimately believe it. I've never thought, really, truly, anybody was going to throw a surprise. Because we know you would hate it. That, Anyone that knows you would know that you would not like that. That's what I was going to say. There have been times I've feared... But Bobby's there watching him, and so it's like, Why are you getting dressed up? And Peter's like, Oh, well, it's just a neatness phase. When you get older, you go through And Bobby's like, I hope I never go through that phase. And this is another, I find some of these interplay scenes, again, very, this yes, is a the very natural good. scene. Well, I think Bobby, I mean, Mike Lickinlin, his acting is very natural, and his reactions are natural. The things he does, he reminds me of our brother Billy when yes. he was little. a lot of his little boy stuff is. Yeah, when he he's had. his wise ass. Right, and his ways. mugging. Yeah, you know, mugging. He, and everything they show peter at the top of the stairs all dressed up he looks around no one's there it's like where the fuck is And that's the picture in my head he looks around expectantly then he's like oh and he runs down looks in the den it's dark no one's there he goes into the kitchen no one's there then he hears marcia and greg in the family room and he goes in there and once again they're still maybe they're still playing chess or they're playing chess again and they try to tell him the truth. Well, they notice that he's dressed up, and they get... <laughs> and finally, they feel, they finally feel they bad. Finally, they feel bad. And so they try to tell him the truth, but he doesn't really believe him. He plays dumb. But then it dawns on him, and he is... They very, explain he's it. Devastated. and he's very, very sad. And they feel bad. And just as he's it's dawning on him... Mike and Carol come in the the front front door door. with a bunch of presents, and they're like, "Surprise!" And he goes running in. And Jan, Cindy, and Alice come downstairs, and I'm like, "What the fuck were they doing up there? Why is everyone always like upstairs? It's like like in their little tiny rooms. Yeah, like nobody's in the background doing stuff. Nobody's in the kitchen eating a sandwich. Nobody's sitting there reading. I would be if it were when we were. Someone would have been watching TV or something. I know the kids could only act like four hours a day, so they had to, you know, block. Out their scenes and stuff, and Peter's really excited. And Greg and Marcia asked them, "How did you know?" And then, of course, Mike and Carol have to lecture Greg. Kind of makes it okay that they're late to get back to the ski lodge just because they get a chance to fucking lecture. And they got presents for Peter from everybody. And one of the gifts is a tape recorder. Now, why? Why? One of those little set ones like I used fucking to have. Fucking why? And a so tag. Bag. Peter's playing with a tape recorder. Marsha and Greg come into the room, and Peter's leaving, and he says, Whatever you do, don't listen to it. And he leaves, and Greg and Marsha are like, boy, he really wants us to listen to this. And it's a message of forgiveness for them, them. and he laughs. He He has a little giggle at the end, because Peter loves to giggle. And I also was thinking that Lloyd Schwartz, even Maury McCormick and probably Barry Williams, talk about... How Barry Williams and Maureen McCormick at this time are beginning to get the hots for each other. And she's kind of the way she's standing there, kind of wiggling at Barry Williams at the end of that scene. I'm like, uh huh, yep. So the next one is episode 10, season three. Her sister's shadow. Yeah, this one's a and this one. is a classic. That's a classic, but it's the usual. It's like we have had this theme so many fucking yes. times. Jan has got to fucking get a grip on herself. And yeah, it's been done so many times. But we finally had to have this one before we could get the show's most famous catchphrase. Yeah. So we go on. We're in school. We're in school. Jan's handing something to her teacher. It's an essay. What America means mm-hmm. to me. I and, had tried an essay about it. Yeah. That. What was your What was the title of yours? Actually, you mine talked was. About it. Was, it, was it in probably, the show? Or was probably. Probably. No, no, it might have been the other show. What the UN means to me, Ooh. sponsored by the Oddfellows and Rebeccas, and I actually won and got to go to a fake UN in New York City my first time ever there. And I think we talked about it in crime and stuff. I don't think we Possibly. talked about it in here. And I also won an essay contest by the Kennebec County Soil and Water Conservation District. And got nice. a $10 prize, which at the time was a pleasing amount of money. I bet. Yeah, that was a long time ago. No, um, the teacher says Jan is improving, and maybe someday she'll be as good of a student as Marsha. She was the best, one of the best students she ever had. I'm not as neurotic as Jan, and I didn't care no, as much as Jan. No, you're not. Well, I was pretty neurotic when I was in high school. I was pretty <laughs> when you fucked up in high school. <laughs> and, well, I am now too, but okay. I was probably worse in high school. I mean, this didn't bother me very much. As far as my ego, because I didn't give a shit. But I had teachers constantly, especially our sister Liz... Not as much as you, but saying how what a wonderful student Liz Imagine was. being only a year behind Liz, who never got anything less than a straight A her entire career and graduated from college. I actually even see And being, maybe we should have a video portion, and being the the loudmouth, goof off, opinionated, not getting great grades person. And I was just t- one year behind You her. got You got pretty good grades, though. Mine weren't as I good as yours. I could have done better but the worst teacher i had was my geometry teacher who he was would- a dick Constantly in front of the whole class, go on, and and that's not her fault. It's not Liz's fault. Is it's not Marcia's fault, this, But go on about how great she was and how much I yeah. sucked. Well, I she mean, kno- she knew how to did kiss it us all the time. Better than us too. But, but I used to. Okay, my problem in school. i go before we go on. I used to talk too much. Mm-hmm. And if I were, if I enjoyed a, if I was good in a subject, I would get good grades. But if I, I didn't, mm. if it didn't interest me, sounds like a little bit like what ADHD. Happens to people with ADHD. PhD? <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, but I'm talkative anyway. Mm-hmm. So anyways, <laughs> anyway, so Jen. I, I, I want to say before oh. one. Well, our dad was from a family of fourteen kids, yes. and they went to a fairly small Catholic school in Elmira, New York, where the high school was actually when they went there was the like top the second four, four. Yeah, the grade school, and so there were a lot of siblings there. And he and other of his siblings tell stories where the nuns would have an older sibling. Come down to the classroom so they could berate dad or whichever sister it was, oh, whoever God. was in the room in front of the roller sibling, and say, "Why can't you be like this person?" So they would actually bring the person. So and uh, so at least we, we, that we know hand. that many nuns, not all. Were flawed they in, were, many ways, yes. we, in many ways. and frustrated in many ways, and just trying to act out any way they could. So Jan's not too happy about this comparison with Marcia, and who should come in? <laughs> Show to stop <laughs> in, and of course, Miss uh, the teacher. What the fuck is that teacher's I name? I think it was Mrs. Watson, but Mrs. I could Mrs. be wrong. Is that oh Marcia? Yeah, because of course Marcia is the kind of student that stops in no, and No, she like, actually came to get chance. I know, her. but she comes and she's not like Hall. Yeah, I never went back to see I never teachers. went back to say hi they to the teacher. Want, they yeah. didn't want to see me. Jan is pretty snotty, and Marcia's... Oh, I don't know why. Marcia, couldn't you figure it out by now? And it, So, next scene is the Brady house. Jan arrives home, and Jan tries to slam the glassless sliding door but because there's no glass in the door it does not go Dan is visibly upset and she goes upstairs she's in her room and she's looking at all of Marcia's trophies (laughs) and plaques and ribbons and she takes them all down and puts them in the closet and closes the door yep And later, the girls' room again. Jan's gone. Marsha enters, notices that everything's gone. Immediately, well, because she has to look at them whenever she comes in, so she can then go look in her mirror. She (laughs) She runs into Mike and Carol's mother, mom, ask where they are, and And, and she's like, "Well, maybe Alice took them when she was dusting." I'm like, "Well, Alice dusts the girls' fucking bedroom. It's supposed to be cleaning. All Uh. she does is dust them back." So. Marsha goes downstairs and I felt this was almost a little bit of irony that here Alice is with her half her body in the friggin' oven trying to clean that friggin' oven and um, Marsha's like, oh, do you, do you do anything with my trophies when you clean the room? Yeah. And Alice is like, fuck you. Yes. No, Alice is like, oh, maybe the boys took them. They're playing one of their pranks. And so she runs outside. And they're playing they're basketball. shooting hoops. She confronts them, and then she takes the ball and won't give it back to them until they admit what they And Mike comes did. home. Mike always drives, drives up. up. He always drives up at at like right at the right moment. And he's like, "Hey, what's with all the yelling?" And Marcia says, "They took my." awards and they're like no we didn't and Mike says don't worry we'll find them they've got to be around here somewhere yeah, right and then he makes the gayest basketball shot ever but he gets a basket well it shows him shooting and then it shows the ball <laughs> going through the basket <laughs> we don't see the ball go from his hand and Mike and Marcia go in the family room and Carol asks was it the boys and before anyone can answer Cindy comes in and says hey Marcia if you don't want all these can I hit yeah them? she has them all she's yeah. holding them all she's such an idiot though it's funny, though, because she's like going on, like, maybe I could just scratch your name out and put <laughs> mine. And Marcia's name. totally ignoring C- what Cindy's saying. She's yeah. like, oh, thank you. And she grabs them from him. She takes them and goes out, and Cindy leaves with and her. And it's the old process of elimination. Yeah. Carol and Mike, who would have put those in the closet? Uh, everybody but one. Do you think, like, I was thinking mom and dad wouldn't fucking give a shit. No, they wouldn't. They, they they would just have forgotten like, about it. Well, we didn't exactly have any many trophies or anything. But it is. But you know, just like with Peter, Mike says Jan yeah. is the only one. Yep, yeah. and Jan is pretty much melting down at this point. Marsha's in the room polishing the trophies <laughs> lovingly and replacing them as Jan enters, and Jan looks really not so. Yeah, yeah, she's melting down. Jan's having some kind A of psychotic episode. break. Yeah, Marsha asks. If Jan's the one that put him in the closet, Jan says, What if I did? Yeah. And Marsha's like, But why? <laughs> <laughs> Too many couldn't see the look on my face. I know, yeah. And Jan's like, Because I felt like it. Yeah. Bitch. Yeah. And then she storms out. Yes. Marsha continues to question her, and Jan leaves, saying she doesn't care to discuss it. And when she does that, when she says that, her voice cracks, and she looks like she's really... Like, you know how when you're really upset and mad, and you're like, I don't care to discuss it. Yes. But according to Marsha... Marsha, I'm sorry. Maureen McCormick. There was sometimes some sibling type rivalry between the two Yes, girls. and Lloyd but, Schwartz. Yeah, but he, see, the thing about men is they always think women are competing yes, with each other, so it's hard to know if it's, if they really want to. And were or it not. was probably a lot more subtle than that, and just different some personalities, and. But like, also, I will say this, that the things he said about Maureen McCormick, he obviously, He's like, oh, she was so feminine, and blah blah. Well, blah. And I, I, it makes me feel like, regardless of whether there there was, he might have treated her well, differently than I want the other to girls. Say Eve Plum probably had a different personality than Maureen McCormick, and Maureen McCormick, and she kind of talks about this in her book, not in this context. But had a personality where, because of issues going on at home or stuff, she was a people-pleaser type mm-hmm. person. Yes. And Eve Plum was not that type of person. I'm not saying she... Yeah, was, but she's different. But she had a yeah. different personality. And as we all know, especially if you're female, if you're not pleasing to people, particularly back in the 70s oh, when yeah. you're trying to please men, adult men and middle-aged men in your job, that you're going to get a negative, there's going to be a negative perception of you that is now carried in books that are published decades later. Yes, that's true. And so, to her credit... I can just imagine what people would say about me. I know what... I (laughs) can't have to imagine what people would say about me. So, the den... I'm going to start calling the den the lecture room. Mike and Carol are in the den. Mike's installing a shelf or something, even though there's a bunch of shit on it. And Carol's there handing him tools. And first of all, yes, thank you. You take the shit off the shelf... Before you do anything mm. with it, Carol's handing him tools, but they hear Marcia hollering. They hear the fight, and Carol's very concerned, but Mike rolls his eyes yes. because now his helpmate, who is handing him tools, has trotted off to take care of some trivial issue with the daughters, and what are they screeching about That's now, kind right. of thing. He doesn't say that, but it's all in his eye roll. And Jan is coming down the stairs and changes her demeanor. Crazed mood swing. Yes. Abruptly, yes. and she sees Carol. Yes. Oh, hi yeah (laughs) carol's like what's wrong and jan's like nothing nothing at all and she's acting really fake and crazy yes and carol's not buying it and she brings jan into the lecture room into the lecture room double team lecture and they sit her down they're actually compassionate and empathetic and eve plum i think really brings it in this scene i think she's very believable and does a great job and i don't give a shit people can put it off to her, yes. if any issues she might have with Maureen McCormick or whatever, but you still have to act. All three of them know She Right, and actually, I think Robert Reed does a great job. I mean, I always expect Florence, especially in the scenes where she needs to be empathetic or mm-hmm. caring, she always can do that well. And I'm not saying... Bob Reed can't, but in this scene, he looks like he really cares about... Well, I noticed that in him, too, in the scene that we talked about last episode, where he's talking to Jimmy, the Hopi boy. yeah, He acted very... It was less... Yeah, it was less luxury. And in this, too, he's... He really... Just even with his facial expressions, the look in his eyes, like he is concerned about her, not in a luxury, overly paternalistic way, but... It feels for her and feel is concerned because his daughter is in yes. some pain. Jan's like well, Marsha just makes a big deal out of everything, and he's like, "Well, what if she'd put your trophies in the closet?" And Jan's like, "Yeah, I'd be upset." And then she says, "Every every time she turns around, they hand her a blue ribbon." Yes, everything's which is true. easy for her. And then she says she's tired of hearing about Marsha this, and then she says,
1: "Marsha, Marsha, Marsha."
0: And there it is, folks. We don't even have to do any more episodes. Yes. That's it, you've heard. And she's being a Marcia's shadow is very hard. It is. And Mike and Carol say, well she has had some disappointments. Yeah, and she works hard for the things she Yeah, She like, broke her nail, yes. And then Marsha Burson in to announce that she was just made editor of the school paper. And then flounces out again, and and Jan's, Jan's like, like, see, she, she always gets what she wants. And Carol says, well, she worked for months. To get and that. now this episode is where I got confused about their ages because Marsha's in her last year of junior high. I thought junior high was three. It depends. Three grades. It's usually some school seventh, eighth, and ninth. Some. Maybe well, sixth grade, too. It two. depends on the school district. Yeah, that's Some true. Some school districts have it sixth, seventh, and eighth, and then you're a freshman in high school and I know, but she's, Marcia is, Marcia's the age you would be a freshman in high school. Right. they junior high. Carol says that Jan's three years after yes, that, her. Yes, and she said that before, yeah. And so Marcia must be 14. I would say So Jan's still 11? That's what I didn't understand. Because that other one with George Glass, mm-hmm. Jan was 12. So, so this is. Book, Jan's at least twelve. Here. One of the books say there are more. Their ages are more. Yeah, Ameri- I'm sure Chance Hol- twelve and, and Marcia's Marsha's fifteen. And, and yeah, in fact, Erica woke at the beginning of the season. I think read yes. thing where she said this is a season where their age- ages just are all over the place. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And but I think they're, the writers- clearly they're in the same school. Marsha's probably in her last year, and Chance right. in her and first. And I year. think the writers just aren't paying enough attention. But in any case, this is when their sympathy and empathy turns into the platitude and. Yes. And an aphorism speech. Do something about it. Get out there and develop your own talent. Find out what you do best some and are, do the best with some it. Some people are good at one thing. Some people are good at other things. Blah, 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 blah. And this blah. is just like the personality kid. So she's obviously ways. having a major, some major issue that some counseling might help. And they throw a bunch of platitudes and cliches at her. And my thought is, haven't we heard all this before? Yes, personality kid. Yeah, and it's like, Go out and develop your own talent. Instead of saying, but Jan, you're really good at blah, blah, blah. Instead of saying, find out what you do best, why don't you say, well, you do this. For instance, one scene where they don't even really say, Jan's lying on her bed drawing. Yeah. And it looks like what she's drawing, you can't really see it that well, but it looks like it's probably pretty good. So, I've never seen Marcia drawing anything, well, except for that. (laughs) George Washington. The next scene is at their school. And Jan's looking at a pom-pom girl tryout poster, which has a very ugly looking, weird looking pom-pom girl. She tells Katie, "There's Katie is standing there with her cute little girl with braces, it's the opportunity she's looking for. Because Marcia has never been a pom-pom girl. And Katie's like, oh, you've got one of those sisters. Yeah, I have one too. So she's going to try. And Jan looks crazy. Yeah, Jan is in high manic mode. So... Alice. All those platitudes were for nothing because she's not going out to develop her own talent. She well, just sees something. They didn't immersive. say it, but that's the problem. Their platitude was like find something you're good at or the best at and be the well, best. Well, I know they threw a lot of cliches yeah. at her, but one of them was was get out and develop your own talent. Oh, yeah. Okay. is sitting at the kitchen table making pom-poms out of newspapers. and Greg and Bobby helped. And she says no news is good news. Oh, she does. And the name of my second mystery novel is No News is Bad News. Wow. i just I'd throw that in there. Gee. Hey, you um, get to talk about your daughter. Greg does a cheer, and he actually does it really well. I, yeah, I liked that. Atlas does a cheer, which is pretty good. Yeah. And then Bobby does. Bobby does one a B. give me a B, <laughs> give, give me another B, <laughs> give me another B. What does it sound <laughs> But I don't understand why she actually needs pom poms to practice. Neither do I. And so Alice tries one well, and it falls apart anyway. So because it's all made out of newspaper that doesn't look like she was. <laughs> she didn't tie together it or anything. Jan and in <laughs> right? in the backyard. Cindy has a tape player. And Jana's very limber. She's doing back stretches and, and sp- doing big kicks. And Carol comes out. And Alice brings out two mop heads for Jan to yes. use as pom poms. Cindy starts the music, which is like, yeah, they're not cheerleaders, they're pom poms. Right, dolls. and according to the closed captioning, it's the Washington Post March. Oh. According interesting. to Dun dun But I guess she's bad. She's not that good. She doesn't look very good to yeah. me. She's kinda clumsy yeah. looking. And Mike and Marcia are watching out One, glassless. One of them windows. One, yes. Yeah one of the windows. And Marcia wants to go and give her some pointers. And and Mike says uh maybe not. Yeah. And Marcia gets it pretty then, quickly though. Marcia's like, "Yeah, does, she and, probably doesn't want to hear from me." Right. And the then Mike pets her.
1: I really appreciation. See that.
0: He pets her head. Uh-huh. And it's a weird, it's a very weird moment. Marcia says, "You know, but I am rooting I mean, I, I want her to do. Well. And Mike says, "Well, you, could, you can tell it's, her that." It's always but there's easy. nothing worse than when if no. you're if you feel like you're not good at something or right. something you to have somebody to you know do. is to come Me, up. Oh, leave. you don't want some patronizing, and you feel like it. it. even if they're yeah. not really being patronizing, yeah. it feels that way. Yeah, yeah. It's easy for the person who does the thing well to throw some bone to the person who doesn't. Don't bother. It's no, it doesn't we help. don't eat it. And then we see Jan doodling in her room, or drawing. <laughs> no, okay, let me turn that over. She's like, yeah, she's Jan sketching. Jan is lying on her bed, sketching on a sketch pad, and my first thought is, oh, this is going to be somebody's going to see yeah. her sketches and say, oh, Jan can draw. But no, no, no. no. Marcia comes in, but she looks a little wary. She looks like she's a little bit uh yeah. apprehensive, but she tells Jan that she looked good, which I She told her she looked really great, as a matter of fact, and she pours it on way too thick. Jan's, but Jan's appreciative. And even me knew that Jan didn't look that great. And the next scene is Jan is practicing for... Alice and, and Carol and Cindy are there, there, too, right? and, Cindy's there but and the two Peter and Bobby come up, and on. they start making fun of her. Yeah, uh, and Carol's like, "Oh, you two can help because Jan's going to try to do a line kick thing, and she right. needs to flankers." And, and it's so funny when boys make possibly, uh, and of course, yeah, no way, to do something Any that girly. girls do. Right. So they, like, run away. That scares them so, inside. So Carol and Alice do it with her, and, and Alice hurts her back. Alice. Poor Alice. And next scene, we're at the school, and the girls are up on the stage, and, uh-oh, the judges look. They're mean. all a bunch of women. And the girl who's doing it, she's really She was good. It. She, she was good. good. She was very she good, was good, I have to say. Jan and, is last, which yeah. sucks. Yes, and Marcia's watching from the wings. But Jan can't see her, so. Yeah. It, yes, of course, because they don't have peripheral vision <laughs> in the know. Brady family. <laughs> and Jan does not make it. They pick. She's awful. She, she isn't. I, I would say like uh, she wasn't good. She wasn't good. She, but I'm also wondering, because Eve Plump, before she was in the in the yard, before she was practicing, she was like doing bends and all this, and we've seen her do cart do cartwheels and stuff. I know. So she's obviously an athletic, very like well. Her routine was not. She didn't do anything no. compared to the girl. Well, before maybe she should have given her some points. The girl before her did all sorts of like that. Instead of posting who won later on a bulletin board, they just tell they them. They just tell them. Well, there's so only they can seven, only the yeah. kids. Yeah, as you know, you were all great, but we can only take four of you. And of course, Jan isn't one of them. Although little Katie, I noticed her little friend Katie was one of them. Oh yes, I did notice and that. And Marcia's very sad, but she leaves. She doesn't. And then later, she's in the family room, Marcia's, and she tells Mike and Carol she really wanted to comfort Jan, but she thought it would make things worse. Which that was a super of her, because right, yes. it would have. And they're saying, "Oh, she must be devastated," and and they feel bad. But Jan runs in with terrific news. She's all excited, and Carol says, You made the pom pom team, which is weird because now yeah. well, she just told her she didn't. But maybe Carol thought didn't someone want broke to, their leg or something. Well, or maybe Carol didn't want to say, Marsha already told us you did yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. You know? But Jan won her essay once again. She the said contest. even better, so that's good. She thinks yeah. it's even better. And she got a 98 out of 100, which is the highest score ever, and it beat Norma. Some, Nora. It was Nora Coombs. Nora Coombs who got a 95. and, and But Mike goes, 98. Like, he doesn't believe it. Like, with the skeptical I'll look on her you, face. And yeah, Marcia's like, I'll make it the headline in the school paper. Yes. And I just want to say, as a journalist, I hear that reference a lot. It'll be the headline. And I think maybe what they mean is the lead story. But every story has a headline. Just saying. Okay. But Marcia is an editor, too. so. Well, she's... A school newspaper editor who just got the job on a sitcom. Okay? I'm just saying. And then they do this little bit where Marcia is interviewing Jan. And Jan is pretty funny when she acts like a famous person. Yeah, she is. Back in the girls' room, Jan is sitting at the desk and she's marveling at her achievement. And And she's she's looking at the scoring sheet. Which is written on the inside of the... Composition folder in thing. Pencil in it's it, in pen. Yeah, that is. And she goes down the list, and she's a better. She's better at math than me because she adds it in her head. Yeah, I'm just looking at it. It's like, like yeah, I would have had the categories. I still do this now, and I know people use calculators, and I frequently use a calculator. But when I am adding by hand, and it's you more have to than carry one the column, one. yeah, I have to carry the yeah, one I and do too. That kind of stuff. Which they don't do it like that anymore. Oh, no, I guess well, I guess screw, I'll find out screw since I'm a mom. She adds it up. Chan recites the categories to herself and, and erica wolk in the bradypedia has that. oh good so, uh, yeah so here we go so spelling 15 points grammar 14 points neatness 14 that's the one that would have sent me originality of ideas 15 composition 15 Present, presentation 10 and literary style 10 Ninety three points. So maybe Apparently I'm not gonna add it up to check. So Jan is like So this is when the voices in her head first start. Jan is very conflicted and her voices in her head try to persuade her not to tell. That she deserves she She should have got she should have won the pom pom thing and she didn't This is something she deserves, and who's going to know? And she's answering the voices in her head. Yeah, she's talking to the voices in her head. It's better than having a little angel and devil. That's what a lot of these shows would do. But it does make her look crazy. Yeah, it's weird because the voice is saying, and then she's like, but, but... And the voice is telling her to do stuff. And it kind of reminds me of... You have it coming our last to crime, you. Our last crime and stuff when I did David Berkowitz to someone, right, some that was stuff. our... That oh, I'm was sorry. was one before... Whatever. It was two crime and stuff's ago. Okay, so she's going through this back and forth with the voice in her head. Alice comes in and hugs her and says she's going to bake her a cake the size of Mount Rushmore. Right, and Bobby and Cindy also burst in with Alice. And Greg... Yes. And congratulate her, and she doesn't want them to see... No, Greg wants to take a look at it, and she's clutching it to her chest. She doesn't want him to... She doesn't want him to smudge it. And it's funny, he doesn't say, I want to read your essay. He says, I want to look at the score. Right, and then she runs out of the room, and everyone is so confused. But then later, she's in the room again, looking at Marsha's awards, and the voice in her head tells her she deserves an award, too. Yes, that voice in her head just keeps... And she looks like she agrees with the voice. Yeah, I think she does agree with the voice in her head. And then the... It must be Monday morning. School the school out of time. That principal, I'm assuming, is giving a really boring <laughs> yes. bunch of announcements. <laughs> yeah. Jan and Ms. Watson are in the wings. And Jan looks nervous. She's biting her lip. She looks a little upset. And Mike and Carol must be on the other side of backstage. The and they're... And she's crying. Jan is crying. And Miss Watson, or Mrs., is... About to announce Jan's award, and Jan comes running over and says, Wait, wait, Mrs. Watson, and whispers something to her. And they look at And her. Mike and Carol are very confused. Yes. And they look at the essay, and Miss Watson looks like a little upset herself. She does. And I says, think she does a good job of the scene, Mrs. Watson. Yes, and she, she says that she has an announcement to make that Nora won. Not Jan. Not Jan. But she wishes she had a special award. For Jan, yes. but she doesn't, does she? Yes. Well, she says, every time it's uh, like a little detail, I always think of Bob Reed. she says that they're going to wait till next week to give her the award. So, awards, so her parents be there. be there. Yeah. She does give a nice little speech about Jan and how honest Jan was and how much character it showed. And all the kids clap uproariously for Jan. Yes. Although in real life, they probably like... Well, well they're clapping uproariously while well, thinking, God, I'm glad I haven't been humiliated the I way know. Jan I know. Because all the kids are probably be like, oh, what a good gy And Carol says, sometimes when we lose, we win. Yes. To Jan. So, more platitudes. And Marcia's trying to be nice to her. Well, they're in the room later. Mm -hmm. And she tells Jan she really made a sensation. Yes, school. All the kids were talking about what she did. I bet they were. They're probably just like, "Wow!" And Sue Cindy comes in. Her teacher said Jan is great, and Jan and says, "Find what you do best and do your best with it." And Cindy says, "But I'm good at so many different things." I know. At least and Cindy. Like, hey, I think Cindy. Cindy, I, I understand. A little better than but Cindy does say Jan, 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 which never became a catchphrase. No. And then the tag is just. Alice is she's straightening the me- mat and Greg comes in and Alice tells Greg, You cut my housework in half with all the cheers. Although she's me. dusting. Yeah, she's yeah. dusting as usual, and then she just like throws her dust rags around in cheers. Yeah. And then she starts hitting him with the dust rag. And it's very cute. Yeah, and very again, cute. it's more it's it's kind of a nothing tag, but it's more kind of natural interplay yes. between Gary Williams and Al. And now we go on to click click. It's episode 11, season 3, for those of you keeping score. And it starts, Craig's riding his bike into he's the garage. up on the bicycle. And he's holding a football. So just as when he was holding a yes. basketball in it, we know. Yes. Because people who play football constantly walk <laughs> they around. They walk around with a football. Actually, though, he looks conflicted. Very nervous. And he looks in the window and sees Carol and Alice. There must be a sliding door in the kitchen. There is a sliding door wherever they happen to need one at the moment. <laughs> For the scene. There's one into the there's dining to the room, there's one into the kitchen. And I think there is. There's and whole but back when is you see outside, doors. all you see is one sliding door. Yeah. But he's <laughs> looking through the glassless door at them, and Bobby comes along with a camera. And now this is another thing that you wouldn't. Yes. Know. He advanced his film too, too far. And, he wants, and he, to he wants to get it. Right. He was a picture right. seven. He advanced past eight and he wants to And you can't there's advance an, it back. You can't and turn and the back. reason that's important for you digital people is Because film, first of all, is expensive. Yes. And you only get so many shots on a roll of film and you're wasting one and you can't you, rewind and it and you can't rewind it and they do have as we find out later in this episode they have the equipment yes, there yes cuz I kept saying what they have a dark room what they have a dark room and they have equipment that they go in the bathroom but it's funny how it's not and greg's like it's not possible you can't put the film back and greg is kind of short nasty and yeah. sarcastic with his sibling brothers sometimes it's when he's have he's yes, that's he's, he's true. got his mind on something well, no, else. even he's when an people, adolescent yeah, yes that's true okay so I was gonna say when he was fixing the clock in the last episode. And Greg says to himself, I better get it over with, and goes into the house, leaving the door open, by the way. Well, there's no glass in it know. anyways. He walks into the kitchen, Carol and Alice, he tells Carol he's got something important to tell her. But he doesn't go through with he it. He tells her he's hungry. He's very hungry. Alice and Carol speculate that he has more on his mind mm, and they yes, wonder what not it is. Dummies. But he goes outside. Okay. And Mike drives up and Mike asks Greg, what his mother said. Yes, it's clear that Mike and Greg have known something since the day before, because Greg was supposed to tell her at breakfast, and he didn't. And you know what? If Greg were trying out for football, she would know because... In August before high school starts they have two a day practices and there's no fucking way she wouldn't know. You don't just go try out one day. Yeah, but it, how would she know what he was doing when he left? I mean it's it. fucking football practice in August. He'd come home, he'd be sweaty, all his clothes would be dirty, he'd have to leave twice a day, he'd want to do okay. nothing but eat and watch TV in between. I'm just saying. a teenage boy, he's gonna do all that anyway. Anyway. No, she would know. Oh, I'm whatever. just saying, okay? Uh maybe. It, you, no, it. not maybe. She would know. It's fake. it's all consuming. I know it is. But Mike and Greg are acting very suspicious when they go back in. Yes. Carol asks them what's wrong because they're acting weird, and they tell her. Well, Mike kind of makes Greg, although Mike does some of the telling to Well, first, Carol's worried because she doesn't know what they're going to tell her, and she's not happy. She doesn't want him to play football. and it doesn't turns want out, any son of hers to play football. And it turns out... All these years later, she's right. Yes. He'd be better off. And ball. Mike, but Mike is like, Oh, come in. Yeah, Mike gets to lecture it's football. It's football. Oh, football's football. everything. Yeah, he gets to lecture Carol about football. And Carol says, No way. And then she relents, but she says, I'm still gonna and, worry. And, and then Mike and Carol hug. And one of the things Mike says is, you know, thousands of people play football every week and I wanna say, Yeah, now they all have C T E So anyway. Alice is in the kitchen, Jan and Cindy. They're trying to remember some recipe of hers for some cake. Now, why isn't she writing on a fucking pad of paper? I don't know. Yes. The girls leave. And Greg comes in and erases the board to show Alice's play that he's thought up. Yeah, because he's of course thinking up all these plays so he can lord it over realistic. his teammates so they'll be annoyed and Alice, with him. And Alice is like, hi, you erased my thing." And goes, "I'm sorry, Alice. Was that important? Because obviously, nothing is more important than football. Nothing Alice could be doing on the blackboard in her fucking kitchen would be more important." And Alice is a clueless about the play anyway. So what does she fucking care? She- and then she makes a joke about her weight because she said she'd rather be on that team with all the O's because. Are bigger than the X's, yes. and then she said she could fit in three O's or something. But she does she volunteer out, yes. to help him with his in the yard. She goes out play. in her uniform and she throws the ball. She does a pretty good job. And Mike. the car comes up the driveway, and guess who caught the ball? Mike, Mike. while he was while driving. driving the car, which pretty I find good. highly unlikely. Yes. And the next scene we see is Greg in the yard, and he's in this purple outfit again. So and it must be Greg the next doing? day. Well, he's, he's with the cheerleader, and she's doing cheers while he's taking photos. But remember the. Remember Kathy. the perversity of forcing Kathy to do cheers? But he's not going <laughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> higher. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to do time. that later when he looks at the photos. <laughs> what I'm saying is he's making her do cheers <laughs> while he takes photos of it. And if he's got a fetish about cheerleaders, this is just taking it to the next level. And she, if he was really on a team, he wouldn't have time to be doing Her knowledge. name is Lynette Carter. Yeah, and she's and a she, cute girl. She, I thought she looked familiar, so I looked her up. And her name is Elvira Rousseau. Roussel, I guess, she played Hope Bauer on Guiding Light from oh. 1979 to 1982. Oh wow. And I thought she was a very good actor. When I saw their interaction together, I thought, you know, Greg should have had a girlfriend because yes. she would have been a good one they for his have girlfriend. Made her, she was maybe very good. They couldn't good. afford another full time no, child actor on the show. Oh, no, she was twenty three when she played oh, this role, oh, so she oh, was not a child. But she tells Greg he's an expert with a camera. Yeah, but he says it's just a hobby. And he asks her for a date, and then Bobby bounces up wanting help with his camera. And Lynette and Bobby bond. Yes, Lynette they and do. Bobby bond, cute. making fun of Greg. Greg was annoyed by it, but I thought they had a cute was. interaction. And Carol is in the kitchen making something with a bunch of eggs that looks like, like a mother <laughs> she's making sponge cake. Greg comes in and Carol notices a huge bruise on his arm which she's very upset about. And it turns out he bumped something in math class then. They show it like a long shot of some practice which does not that. look like a high school football. And Greg is in the locker room reading the playbook and the coach comes in. He's the same <laughs> yeah. coach from... The drummer boy episode that was peaked. And he's like very like, like Bill Belichick style. Yeah, because coaches usually Uh. are just such interesting people. He's kind of like, is a little coy, but. He lets Greg know he's on the first string for the practice practice game, game. not for not for the season. Right, but Greg's excited. Yes, and so Greg's still reading a playbook in his room later. And there's photos of Lynette strewn all over the place. Yes, they are (laughs) strewn on the desk. Bobby enters holding the camera, and he wants to know. He's like, "Why are your photos so much better than mine?" And Greg's like, "Because you make everyone pose." And they don't look good. Right. And I'm like, uh-oh. Because Greg tells him, why don't you take candid, more candid photos? We know something's going to so happen So then there. Bobby's like, okay. And then he's leaving and he takes one of Greg. He's in the kitchen. Oh. Marsha's making this horrible face because she eats he's a, a, radish. a radish. And then he takes a picture of Alice with flour on her face. He bursts into the bathroom and I'm like, that's not cool. No, that's not. How does he know that? Even what? though they don't have a toilet in that bathroom, it's what? not cool. How does he know what Jan and Cindy are doing in there? What yeah. a were taking a bath or something. But he takes a picture of... It looks like Jan is... Oh, I think she's putting curlers on Cindy's... Oh, my favorite one is when they're sleeping. Bobby's like, Pete, Pete, I have to tell you something. Pete's like, ah, I'm sleeping, and Bobby's like, no, I have to tell you something now. So Pete looks over the edge <laughs> of the bed, and Bobby takes the picture. And, and I think that he actually took real pictures. Cause he did. They, they look know. real. They look real. They're not so great photos. we see photos. them later. They're black and white and, then, and not uh, great yeah. photos. Then they show a long shot of a football game again. And, and this is the practice game, even though it looks exactly like <laughs> what <a couple> happens <laughs> later. Apparently Greg got hurt. Yes, because the they show the locker room. Two boys that are not in uniform or anything come in with him. Well, they're helping him in. The game's still going on. They're, they're, kids, they're You're not going to bring kids off the field the coaches okay. get back out there to so yeah. them you better get back out well, there. Well, maybe they're the maybe managers, they're the managers the oh store yeah that's getting true water bottles that's and shit you know right. the kids as greg points out later yes. are lesser. yeah they're less than play. well they're certainly not as good as and a greg flanker has an interesting thing when the coach you know wants him to get checked out and stuff because he possibly broke his rib he's like call my dad yeah Gre- so he's like we got to call your parents you have to and he's like time. call my dad because my mom will freak out it's a living room. And Carol's, Carol's talking on the phone with Martha. Martha. <laughs> yeah. Greg and Mike come in, and Greg's wearing a striped shirt. Carol pokes Greg right in the ribs. Yes. And she's like, well, that's a short game. And then she's like, "Why are you home from work early? And then she said, don't tell me you played hooky and you went to Greg's game. Oh, yeah. And Mike's like, "Uh, no, not really. They tell her that Greg has a hairline fracture on his rib. And she freaks out. She freaks out. And the doctor said he could play. Oh, there's a chance of it actually breaking. And Carol's like, no fucking way. And Mike's like, no, I have to side with your mother on this. Then Alice comes into nuts dinner, which is barbecued ribs. And they act like a bunch of ungrateful assholes. Once again, poor Alice doesn't know what's going on. And they she act- doesn't need to know. No, she's she paid. doesn't. But paid. here she is. She's made a special dinner that everybody likes. I know this like- show doesn't dwell on it, but I did. And they're all like, Ugh, And she's like, I thought Fuck people liked well. ribs. So, you know, Alice gets gaslighted a lot on this, too. Or maybe they're just so... Tone deaf to Alice that they just are constantly shitting on her with her not realizing it. We're in the boys r- Greg is practicing throwing a ball, but his ribs is clear of his it ribs hurts. Are hurt. Well he's not even throwing it, he's just moving like his moving arm in a throwing motion. Mike comes in the bedroom and Greg is upset and he says, Maybe he should just be the water boy mm, Yes. And Mike says, Is that the only reason to be on the team because you're a player. Yeah. Well, if you want to play football, you want to play football. Mike says, "What about teamwork?" Yeah, because Mike like, has to lecture. But I kind of get where Greg's coming from. He no, wants he to play don't... football. He doesn't want to sit there and watch other people play while yeah, he's like, I agree with that. Although he does kind of demean the people who, yeah, do that like the stuff. managers and stuff. And Greg says he wants no part of football. If he can't play, he doesn't want any part of it. And then Peter comes in. Greg has a phone call, and it's a girl. He says, if it's Lynette, I'm about to get dumped. Right. She's in the living room talking on the phone with Lynette, and I like their conversation, I like actually. the fact she tells him off. Yeah. tells him he's insulting her. But she's not bitchy about it. No, she's just she's She says over. she wanted to know if he was okay. It's clear he's been avoiding talking to her. He was supposed to call her. And he said he doesn't think she'd be interested in an ex-football player. And she said, well, I find that really insulting. Good you for really you, Lynette. And then she like, you must think I'm really shallow if I would not want to be with you. Yes. She said, I like you more than for the fact that you play football. And he's like, he didn't mean it that way, and she says, "Well, maybe you'll come to the game Friday. You could sit with the cheerleaders, and we could talk." And, and he's like, "I yeah. don't know." He's lukewarm, and she's like, "Fine, good night." But then she, she throws out the bait. Of him taking photos, you can take yeah. some more photos of me. Ooh, yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. He takes photos, but he's still kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And it's like, yeah, too bad, Greg. You know, she really likes you. She can't make it more obvious, and you would just rather sit there and feel sorry for it's yourself. Fu- but he slept on it because the next morning they're in the kitchen, everyone's getting their lunches. And did you notice, by the way, Cindy is once again wearing a baby doll dress. Yeah, it's way too short. Yeah, and right she's nine years she's old. She's in, she's so in, a, like, like second or third grade. So Bobby and Cindy tell Alice her sandwiches are good, good enough for trading, and I. Want Want to tell you something nowadays children at school are forbidden to share food or to trade because of allergies yes wow um mike and carol are eating at the breakfast table and greg comes in holding his camera so obviously Maybe. he he's going to the game after after school and he really needs to get a camera bag instead of carrying that thing around like that. and mike and carol are very happy that he's changed his mind and mm-hmm. that he's going to go to the game. Bobby is hiding and snaps a picture of Mike and Carol kissing, which mm-hmm. I'm sure he could get any time, because yeah, they're doing cause it they're all always, the time. They're all over each other. Another great football game. <laughs> it looks exactly <laughs> like the other, it looks exactly like the practice game. And then we're back at the Brady home in the kitchen. Alice is just <laughs> finishes writing her recipe on the Board and Bobby Uh takes her picture, and she's like, Bobby, I look horrible. Uh And Greg and Peter come in. The team has lost seven to six, but the ref got the call wrong. He said the guy was out of bounds when he wasn't. And Greg said, Well, I didn't see it, I was busy snapping pictures of Lynette. Peter, what does he do? He He goes and erases the board to show her. Freaks out, and he goes, Just like Greg did, Oh, I'm sorry, was that important? Like, because nothing Alice could be putting on the fucking blackboard. If you want to eat that fucking cake ever again, you little yeah. shit. And we're up in the boys' room. Greg is ogling the pictures he took of Lynette. Yeah. So you're right yeah. about... I think yeah. you're right. And then he wants to lock on the bathroom door for some reason. We don't know why. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mike comes in, and they talk about the game and the bad call. Mike likes the pictures of He Lynette. does. But not to lie. Nice action shots. But he notices... This is a really good sh- action shot. And, Mike's like, and, and Greg's, Greg's like, like, well, yeah, that's the one where I missed the big play because I was taking a photo. And, and, and guess what? like, well, if you blow it up, maybe we can see. And it's just like that movie Blow Up that came out in the 60s where the guy actually took a picture of a murderer. So they go in the bathroom to blow it up. To blow it up. They see the footage and bounds. And, and Mike Greg, and Greg are going to go over and see the coach. And realistic. And, and I'm like, does it matter at this point? And they kind of mention that, that. Yeah, they the do The coach will say. see what he can do. But they're not going to change the referee's decision no matter what the photo says. But I'm thinking what Greg should do is give the photo to the school paper or the local paper, which I'm sure covers high school sports. Sell his first photo and say here's a photo that shows it was a touchdown, not out of bounds. Yeah, that's what Greg should Power do. Power of that's the not press. Yeah. In the kitchen again, Carol's cooking something, and Greg and Mike come in after having been to the coach's house. Greg tells her, "I'm back on the team," and she's like, what? "Yeah." And he's, like, he's going to be the official, official photographer. team photographer. Yay! And, yeah Like, does he have to, like, be named official photographer? He can't just go to every game and take pictures? Well, this way... Oh, he gets a press pass and stuff, he says Yes. And also, the coach can depend on him being there instead of him finding something better to do That's than go to the game and take true. pictures. Okay. okay. And then the tag is kind of a parallel to this. Yes, it is, isn't it? Because Bobby's, Bobby's photo that he took of Alice has the recipe. Yes, because Alice boring. is upset because she... Just trying to figure it out. So, today's final episode is a special celebrity guest episode. Getting Davy Jones. Yes. So, we're in the girls' room. With Marcia and some of her friends. Uh, And I'll say that the Brady Bunch, it is not a diverse show. Whenever they have a group, like during the word from our sponsor, when one of the cameras was black, they throw, and I'm not saying, oh, aren't they great? No, but they do try, at least. But anyway, her friends are talking about the prom. They're on the entertainment, they are the entertainment committee, and it's only two 2 weeks you and they get have, your entertainment. They have no one booked yet. So yeah. what the hell have they been doing this whole school year or whatever it is or whatever the prom is? I know. Well, other things, I guess. Why well, don't they get the banana convention to play? That's what I, <laughs> I want to know. know. In the meantime, Jan's in the family room. She's reading the newspaper, and she reads something that causes her to grab the paper and excitedly run upstairs. She says, Davy Jones is here. Yes, she She says, no, he's in town. And the girls are ooing and eyeing. Marsha wants to get him to be their entertainment, and the girls scoff at. And the white girl says, why just Davy Jones? Why not the Beatles, the Fifth Dimension, and the Carpenter? Well, I was going to well, bring that up. Like, he's on the same par as any of those people. Well, not the Beatles, but the Monkees had been on TV from. They had just gone off right. the air in '68. And, but unlike the Carpenters in Fifth Dimension, the Monkees were a manufacturer yes, for a TV I know, group but that for a lot of. But these young girls wouldn't know the difference. But I know, but it's like that. They're not. They I know, they're not, not the Beatles the same or the Carpenters. But group. I will say that they are like fourteen-year-old girls. So they are to them. But The reason Marcia thinks she can get him is because she's head of the fan club at Fillmore. Yes, and she says she has this framed letter. And Erica Wolfe has it in her Bradypedia. And she wrote to him, so he wrote back, Dear Marcia, and I'm not even going to try to do a Davy Jones voice No, please don't. I want to thank you for your interest in my career. Without the help of people like you, my career would not be possible. If I'm ever in your city... I'll be happy to show my appreciation in any way I can. With best wishes, I am your friend always, Davy Jones. Now, which is a bit, which is a big difference from the signed, fake signed photo most people get. I will say that I think that's kind of a very, very poorly worded form letter to send to a young girl. Yes, as we know from like Greg's thing with just an offhand comment yep so she reads that and so the the girl says says oh wow but Doreen is very skeptical yes she thinks Marsha's bluffing as Marsha says well Marsha says well, well I'm just gonna go to right Marsha feels challenged so she probably goes out on more of a limb than she should have and she basically promises yeah, she says go. I'm gonna go get him and I, I very don't. naively think she can like just reach him at his hotel and the, the down in the kitchen Alice and Carol are making salad again. Okay. Marcia's going to go over to the hotel. Mike comes into the home from work and is wearing a really groovy shirt. And they talk about Davy Jones how popular he is, and they hope Marsha can get to see him. Bobby and Pete are in the boys' room. Jan runs in and maniacally screeches <laughs> that Davy is coming to town. And the boys scoff, and they're like, who cares? And They're not big fans. And Bobby pretends to play guitar on a tennis rack. Yes. And then, they show this other scene where Doreen and the other girl the are working girl. the phones, telling everyone about Davy's. Yes, Jones. spread the word, Doreen says. So, the living room. Mike is reading the paper, as usual. Marsha comes in the front door. Carol comes downstairs. And Marcia's very despondent. The, motel, the hotel was mobbed Dut. with kids. And so Carol suggests they try calling. Yeah, they're trying to figure out how to get in touch. Well, she tells them that she tried to call. The phone lines were busy. Yeah, Mike just kind of throws out, well, you did the best you could Yeah, can and Marcia's like, you're right. I'm just going to tell them so we can get somebody else. Well, the school the next day, there's a banner up. Mm-hmm. And the teacher... And boy, they got that banner dumb fast. The teacher, Miss Robbins... Marcia Wallace. Who, who's Marcia Wallace again, so she's graduated from the wig store. She is very excited. There's a banner up that says, Welcome Davy Jones. But Marsha takes her aside. Yeah, and she tries to tell She almost confesses. But the teacher doesn't get it. She doesn't want to hear it. Marcia's stymied. In her attempt to, so her next uh, the but she does she does seem to feel a little bit of shame, but she isn't gonna. She's gonna. It. I think she's saying to herself, you know what, this well, tr- is just gonna right. give me the incentive right. I need. Mm-hmm. So she decides she's gonna send a telegram, which I thought was a good idea. And telegrams stopped being sent. I think it was like two thousand and six. Oh, they don't send them anymore. Nope. Oh, I did no know stop. So she's composing the telegram. Greg's like, that's really dull. Butter and, him and up. Butter him up. Right. Uh, he has one that... He yes, yeah, just really over the top. And Peter says, you have to tell me won $10 million. In this <laughs> <laughs> Typical Peter. And Marsha's like, but I will have $10 million to give him or something. And Peter's like, so? You got his uh, attention. i yeah. will call you. Yeah. Marsha calls Western Union, but they said they can't guarantee he'll even see the telegram because he already has 600 waiting for him at the hotel. Yeah. He, he not only has 600 waiting for him. But part of the issue was that Marcia wanted it delivered to him in person. When they said, and no, they would not guarantee it. No. So back in the living room, Mike—it's like a mini lecture. He says, yeah. "You know, you really shouldn't promise shit you can't deliver." Yeah, yeah. Carol says, "There's got to be a way. There's, There's got to be. be a way." So I'm glad that she's still trying to help. Her. Yeah. I mean, she's Cindy and Jan come in. Davey's on this local TV show. Yeah. Marcia gets Mike to bring her down to the TV station. Mike is on it. They get to the TV station. She tells the guy that she's the head of, of, of the guest fan club and she wants to meet it. The head of the Department of Sanitation has a fan <laughs> club. <laughs> Turns out that the Davy show is not live. It was taped the evening. So now what are they going to do? But Carol has an idea. Let's run a room at the uh, t- Double Towers. Is that yeah, st- the Royal D- Towers? And Mike says he already thought about yeah. that. They're already, but because I thought that was a pretty good idea. Yeah. Too. Wow. Mike and Carol are really involved. They really in are this. helping. And they say, you know what? You better tell the teacher Monday because he gives her another lecture on responsibility. Yes. And she says they'll all hate me. Yeah. Still and they Alice. will. Yeah. But Chan says your real friends will stand by you. And Marcia says I won't have any friends. Yeah. <laughs> Which is <laughs> well, true. Okay. Alice and Jan are just trying to figure out something that they can do. And so are the younger kids. Yes. And And so Pete calls up and says that he's the leader of a singing group and he's (laughs) a friend of Davy Jones and the group is because Bobby and Cindy... And Jan are there, the three desperados, <laughs> and then he makes them sing, and they sing America the Beautiful, and the they operator. sing all different oh, things. Were, one of them singing America, and the they, operator hangs up on, on him. So it was nice that they were trying to. Help. They were. That was funny. Alice is on the phone with Sam. Greg comes in, and Alice says, "Hey, Sam has an idea. The Royal Tower chef is a personal friend of Sam's, and Sam also delivers meat over there. So maybe he can get you in." I was thinking, okay, yes, maybe, but the chef isn't going to fucking risk his job by letting two people pretend to be, you but, you know, But yet, he does, he does apparently, because... Because we're at the hotel. Greg and Marcia dress like room service. And Marcia, for some reason, is acting like a boy. Maybe because girls didn't have a job. I think women must not have done that. If this was real life, there would have been an entourage in Davy Jones's room. Well, they were all over at the studio already. Yeah, except for his, his manager, manager. who has but a really bad hairdo like... Uh, Javier Bardem. It's there his, will be blood. The, he has like a hairdo just like that. But anyway, the only person in the room is the manager who you would think would be maybe the guy they want to talk to. I would say, why can't you? Yeah, you're his manager. Can you do me a but, favor? I know she's got to talk to I Davey. I know. That, that to he me says was he's weird. over at Atlas yeah, Records. Yeah, he just tells them. like. Yeah, he's over at Atlas Records cutting his album. I don't know when he's going to be back. Funny though, when they get there, the manager is there. And Marsha's like, i got to get over there. And then she blows Greg a kiss, and the manager is like, what? Because he thinks Marsha's a boy. So he's a little homophobe. And Davey is singing a song, I think a the name is A really bad girl. song. And I'm, I was never a monkeys fan. I like their TV shows. I like some of the monkeys songs, and but I some, well, I'm not a Davy Jones. I wasn't. A, he wasn't my well, favorite. As we said, they were a manufactured group for TV. So they weren't a group that came together and gelled. And I was a fan of Mike Nesmith. And the so Mike Nesmith wrote songs. Mike yes. Nesmith. Peter Tork was a... He wasn't a musician, but he became one after being on the show. Right. He wasn't Davey initially a Jones musician. Was he was a singer. Yeah. Uh, considered himself. cute and was a singer. And Mickey Dolenz was a drummer. Yes. I didn't like the Monkees, but I liked them when I was an and, adult. And also, we it wasn't like we were going out and getting our own music. The but first, we did used to watch the Monkees. We did used to watch yes. them. I liked, I liked the show. The show. So um, Davey is singing a song, a forgettable song. I, oh, God. Head. And Marcia comes in, and she's wearing a cute little yellow poncho, and she's very excited. Yes. now. a nope. turtleneck poncho. And nobody, strange. like, is... She just walked in. Yeah. yeah well, like, then the manager's like... Who are you? But he's well, not like, get well, out of here, when bitch. When Davey's done with the song, the manager says, okay, we're going to play that back, you know, take five, we're going to play that back, blah, blah, blah. And then he turns to Marcia, and she's like, and he's like, what are you doing here? But the mic is on. Yes. He so David here He this. tells her to leave but now what I wanna know is I mean it could be that he wasn't really looking at the two bus boys, but wouldn't he think like well, I thought that too. Boy, that looks like that bus boy Except it's a girl like a and girl. that was a boy. Marcia's trying to make her case and the guy isn't listening. She says but on the President of his fan club, and I have a letter from him that says, "If he's ever in town, he will, you know, right, want to show." Too. Davy Jones hears this and see him he's like, little, eh, that "Yeah, that was a kind of a stupid letter." Yeah, he feels some shame, I think. And the manager says, "Look, give me your name and address, and I'll send you his newest album." Okay, bye. And so she apparently so leaves. But Davy looks thoughtful. Yes, and a little ashamed. Which he should be David. Yeah. But what he's thinking is, Boy, I'm gonna have my PR staff compose a new letter or something. And we're back in the Brady living room. Mike and Carol, as usual, they are sitting there. Marsha comes down the stairs and says, I'm gonna call Miss Robbins now and yeah. let her know. I don't wanna put it off any longer. And so she picks I'm not up the phone get and, and, and the doorbell rings. As she pick, she's she's still calling as the doorbell rings. Yeah. Carol takes forever to get to the Because Mike one. is not going to answer. No, he's fucking... not going to fucking answer the door. And who walks in? It's Davy With the album. And Marcia introduces Mike and Carol, and then they leave. Which I don't know if I'd leave my 14, 15 no, year old girl either. alone with a male cops. Star, but you know, and Davy apologizes for the misleading letter, which I thought was nice. He was very nice. He says he'll, he'll go to her prom. He's like, "When's your prom?" And she says, "Friday." And he goes, "Okay, Friday then." And he goes, "I only have one problem. I don't have a date. Do no. you have any girls who like to go with me?" And she's and the like, thing is, "Do I?" But if I were Marcia, I would say, "You're the fucking entertainment, buddy. You don't. Yeah, you're not going to be dating. You're up there performing. You're going to be up." And then she kisses him on the cheek, on the cheek. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about this davy jones so maureen mccormick who plays Marsha, as we know which her book is called here's the story so she says uh she's talking about the third season midway through the season we shot one of my favorite episodes of all time getting davy jones and also i want to say that even though you know she did play Marsha, she seems to get a lot of things wrong well actually to tell you the truth i feel like that's awesome barry williams got some stuff Wrong too. That almost tells me they're the actually the ones who wrote the book because there's a lot of shit that probably runs together and they're not people who are sitting there watching no. the shows over and over like we yeah, were. Yeah, but wouldn't you have like a fact checker now? Maybe possibly okay. but But she says as head of Fernwood Junior High's fan Davy Jones fan club which we know is Fillmore because Marsha is responsible for getting the impossibly cute lead singer from The Monkees to appear at their prom, and after various miscommunications and lots of worry, she comes through. The show on which Jones actually made it- an appearance had aired, and I think, see, this is poorly written, but I think she's saying the Monkees TV show had aired from 1965 to 1968. The made-for-TV band officially broke up shortly before we taped the show, but they were still extremely popular, and David's arrival on the set created a buzz greater than any other guest star we had on the show. Of course, I was thrilled to be the one who got to interact with him, and I can see why Eve would get jealous. Davey was a lovely guy, and it was a big deal to have a pop star of his caliber on the set. I noticed Barry watch him the way one might, if looking for pointers. Hmm. Though excited to be the object of his affection, or rather attention, I didn't show it. I'd learned to play it cool around stars. My heart fluttered when he kissed me at the end, which is wrong because she kissed him on mm-hmm. the cheek. On both cheeks. Yes. But Peter Tork was always my favorite monkey. That was the difference between Marsha and me. She was predictable, a straight arrow. My taste was quirky, offbeat, indifferent. At 15, I felt ready to experiment. Hmm. And then she goes on about her her and Barry's making out all the time, but that's something else. That's for a different show. So, but the one episode that we have the most to talk about is... A word from our sponsor. Oh, yes. One issue they had, if you remember at the beginning, it was filmed at a grocery store. They got there at 6.30 the morning of shooting. They had left a camera there when they went the day before to set things up. It had been moved, and Peter Baldwin, the associate producer, wasn't his normally exuberant self. And he's like, well, what's up? You know, Lloyd Schwartz is like, where's the camera? I thought it was supposed to be over there. And Peter pointed where the camera had been. There was a dead body with a blanket over it. (laughs) And it turned out somebody had died of a heart attack and they hadn't moved the body. Lloyd Schwartz writes, Indeed, the body was that of another studio guard who had been working as a watchman for studio equipment and who had died at his post. The guard kept waving his flag because they had another studio guard there directing traffic. And Peter Baldwin said, We can get an establishing shot of the market from here and maybe get some other things while we wait for the coroner to take the body away. And he says, That's what we did. Shooting went as smoothly as it could under the circumstances And then I walked over to see our unit manager, Ralph Nelson, who was readjusting the shooting schedule to see what we could shoot next without the cast. There wasn't anything. He turned to the assistant director, notify the studio to send the kids in. I, that's Lloyd Schwartz, quickly looked over to see where the guard's body was still lying. I turned to the assistant director and said, don't send in the kids. It was a standoff. The unit manager was annoyed with me. He had finished the show and I was making the show fall behind. We need the cast or we can't shoot anything. And Lloyd says, I know, but we're not going to have the kids here while a dead man is lying (laughs) there. We're going to wait for the coroner to arrive and take away the body. Their job was to get the show done on time, come hell or high water, or corpses. How can I explain this in my report, he asked. I told him to open the page of his production report where he was to write down the reasons for any unnatural delays, put down, Associate Producer Unreasonable if anyone asks why, I'll be happy to explain it. Hmm. He wrote down what I asked him. And I do say I enjoyed Lloyd's book, but he makes himself the hero. Of oh, many I know, scenarios. he does. No one asked anything since we finished it's the day It's his book. Time. And then he also says, filming at the market, and we looked and looked at the market scenes and couldn't find this, and it maybe was the next show. In a There's th- another show where they do a, a filming at it, it could be, a, a, yeah. or it's just his memory is wrong or something. But says that the director, whose job it was to direct the extras in the background, had two people, and he said it wasn't obtrusive, and you wouldn't notice it unless you were looking for it, and we looked and looked and could find we it. We looked. A man and a woman doing a transaction that was obviously a guy soliciting a prostitute, and believe me, we looked for that, okay. and, he, and he loved it. He loved the guy's quirky sense of humor, and they became friends. The director who did that, because there's a separate director who directs the x Yeah, so he said it was like a man approaching a woman, and it looks and like... And she's shaking her head. He takes out his wallet. She shakes her head, and then she agrees, and then they walk off Yeah, together. But we couldn't... We didn't see it. We didn't. But the bigger issue is Bob Reed, who we've Ooh. talked about. And if you've been listening to our other episodes, you know how Bob Reed just had issues and issues and issues with certain episodes of the show. And so Lloyd says, and now a word from our sponsor, brought forth another diatribe from Robert Reed, who was terribly upset about the reality of a typical American family doing a TV commercial. He didn't like the performance of Paul Winchell, who played the commercial director, Skip Farnham. He didn't like the endorsement of a product by a family. He didn't like, actually, he didn't like anything about it. If we listen to Robert, episodes would be nothing more than him lecturing. Yes. So now you have... Yes, in Barry, Barry, Williams, Barry book, Williams' book, which is Growing Up ba- Brady, by Barry Williams, who played Greg, as we know, he says, Robert Reed hated this episode so much that he took typewriter in hand and hunted and packed out the following memo. And then he has verbatim this memo in the book, which is a single space, book pages. It's almost five pages. Yeah, in books, generally, it's, you can assume 250 words to a page. It's very long. It's probably long, would take longer to read than the episode itself. Yeah. And it's very detailed. The first part of it, he's just... Let me just read the first paragraph, because it's only a couple sentences. And this will give you an idea, and then I can, like, pick some stuff out of this memo. But, Jesus, if I got this, I'd probably read the first part of it and be like, Fuck this. Yes. Like I do with emails at work all oh. the time. Or many bosses have done with my oh, emails. Well, I mean, actually, I've done with many bosses' emails. It's like, what the fuck? No, I read but like... No, I'm saying I was the Bob Reed. Yes, and, yeah. you were the Bob Reed. And what good does it get you? Nowhere. But in his defense, I think he felt like if he made his point strongly enough... And In in enough detail, people would understand what he was talking about. Well, another thing about writing an email, and I do write detailed emails sometimes because I just want to get on the record how I feel in case some shit comes down. Oh, yeah. Not that any would on him, but you know. He starts out once again The Brady Bunch takes an inconsistent literary leap from semi real situation comedy into thinly motivated farce bordering on slapstick. So then he breaks things down, scene by scene a lot of the things he complains about i do agree like there are many things he complains about carol's character that that she seems dumb and scene 13 but one of the things he says carol's lines are phony sincere 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 and they are ninny lines Mike expository speech art El Emhoff works for one of the biggest advertised agencies in towns, etc. Is typical of constantly overdone exposition, which, yeah. Mike's phone conversation has no fatic communion in it i.e. normal everyday dialogue. He, Art, has been established as the friend. You don't call a friend out of the blue and go right to the problem without how have you been or how's your golf game. Well, you might. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so I get what he's saying. So that's one scene he's got. One, two, three. He numbers his paragraphs. Four point, but they're long, like paragraph long point. Every scene he has something to say. At the tag where Carol and Alice are talking about the letter, number one, his point is Carol says, I guess we'll just have have to wait until mr brady gets home etc and he says ninnyism once again carol becomes a nincompoop if carol can read a grocery list she can look up a given reference This is scene 50 ludicrous my god if alice has been mopping the floor as indicated the mop is wet yet she clasps it to her breast kisses it etc nothing made of it at all this is an unfortunate but typical example of how scenes too often get to final with ridiculous inconsistencies or impossibilities. He's got a page and a half uh. on Skip Farnum. Let me just read like the beginning. He has this whole thing as headline, the character of Skip Farnum. <laughs> like, how long did he? He took a long time to write these yeah, things. Yeah, he's crazy. Skip Farnham, our foil, is a paper-thin, one-dimensional version of the old pot-boiling cliche of the Hollywood director updated by someone's version of the mod dialect. And 35 speeches, he has been given almost as many cliches ranging from like real, rap twice, flip twice, lay it on, cool it, squares, gig, and the inevitable theatrical labeler I of agree. the au young, dig I agree, but I twice. thought was funny. I know. The theory seems to be if a little bit of character dialogue will help the character, a whole lot will make him. An old tenet of the theater, the theater, is that <laughs> comedy character is based on palm behavior aided by plot involvement and Sometimes, though not always, dialogue. He goes on and on. I thought the character was supposed to be farcical, like B.B. Galini. You know? I also thought he, w- the character was supposed to be fake. Like, I right. took his dialogue as someone, a, a, poser, to be. Right. Not a poser. A poser, well, maybe yeah. Bob doesn't understand that. So his last paragraph, in short, it seems to me, the problem with the script is not in the plot situations. It could all happen. Where the rub comes is in how it is brought about. The troubles are totally all unmotivated behavior, as ever, weak dialogue, and overwritten cliched characters. The script reads as if it were put together by a committee with each guy responsible for a different area, and then he has dot, 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 and that's the end. Bob Reed, after his death, it was either his widow or his daughter. I mentioned it in an earlier one of our episodes. Gave Barry Williams all these memos. He had kept carbon copies of them because uh-huh. he of typed them. Of course he did. He has some of those memos in there, and it's like, oh, my God, these are so long and involved. And it's not like I don't agree with what he's saying, but at the same time, is it worth the effort? I mean... But the person who yeah. is has that going on is not thinking about that. They're obsessed with making as detailed a point I as they can. I understand. You know, it becomes a war, and the thing is, with that one thing to learn is, like, sometimes you write something like that to get it all off your chest, yeah, and, you and then you go it. through it, or you go through it, and you pare it way down, because when you're making a big point... But then you have stupid little detail shit. Then the big points are lost yes. because the person reading it's just like, oh my fucking head. Which as I was when I was reading it, and I even agreed with a but, lot of what he said. And, and that I feel was, bad. I feel bad for him that he was that much of a perfectionist that he that he feels the need and to And it do may that. have been more complicated than him being a perfectionist. It may have been other things too. Like he felt there was an adversarial relationship, so this was his way of fighting. You know, and you gotta think about, have, although the fact that he was gay has nothing to do with any of this, the fact that he had to live his life yeah. in the closet without validating it that whole, his right. whole life. And also, Paramount owned him. And forced him to do this show that he didn't want to yes. do, and it rankled, and he doesn't like a And because like they guy. still had the contract system going on into the 70s, because mm-hmm. Harrison Ford was one of their last contracts In fact, yes, and Harrison Ford appears in the first yes, episode he of the Motspot. He may too have felt, and we don't see any indication of this, but we're reading like Lloyd Schwartz books and stuff, I'm going to be myself, and if I don't like something, I'm going to say it, and if they don't like me, they can get me out of my fucking contract. Yeah, that's true. And also, I feel like, and like I felt like this definitely with Juliet is the son, that people did things, Lloyd Schwartz and the yes. writers and stuff, to poke at him. Well, clearly the Schwartzes, father and son, did not like him, and they make no bones about it in their book. Yeah. That they did not like him, and they didn't like working with him. Right, and Lloyd, from the beginning, because his head was shaped like Spiro Agnew, yeah, didn't like him, and I know since Lloyd is the author of his own book, he's not going to make himself look bad. No. And I'm not saying... And and he is a good actor. And, you know, the Schwartzes actually don't seem to give him a lot of credit for his acting. No. And I thought... There has not been one time, even when the one we talked a couple episodes about where Robert Reed was drunk, and you can tell he's a little different... But there's not one time you watch it and think, this He's guy... He's it in. Right. Because he doesn't really want to be... They do give him kind of a short shrift in their book. So, one of the best known lines from the show, Maureen McCormick, I'll read what she says about well, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Right. It is the absolute number one, and they didn't mean for it to be a catchphrase as well. No. Or anything line. Why don't you talk about both both Lloyd Schwartz and And Maureen. Maureen Yeah, it's short. So Lloyd says that his father, Sherwood, the creator, did not want a show where people had like a catchphrase like, but he failed. So this is what Lloyd says. Quite a few expressions have come from the Brady Bunch, but few people are aware that each of the Brady catchphrases were only said once the entire series. And I'll add this is Rebecca talking. The reason that they became catchphrases is because the Bradys brunch constantly was on in the afternoon yes. for years and years and years yes. and kids with sometimes like i said there'd be two in a row yeah you'd be watching it all the time so you'd see each show like i don't know how many times you know most of them one mom always said don't play ball in the house pork chops and applesauce yeah. oh my nose Something suddenly came up, and Dad's favorite, "You fit the suit," that was the Johnny Bravo one. Yeah, I like that. One. Though hardly Shakespearean, many of these lines quoted are quoted as if they were intended to be eternal. And thanks to the show's fans, perhaps they will be. But by far the most favorite quote from the Brady episode is the redundant "Marsha, Marsha, Marsha," which Jan exclaimed when Marsha's overpowering popularity had gotten just too much for her. I'm not exactly sure why it caught on. Maybe it's the universality of having that kind of golden sibling in the family. But Marsha, Marsha, Marsha has entered the vernacular and manages to sneak into conversations everywhere. I apologize to anyone named Marsha or Marcia, he spells it both ways, who can't escape having it as a part of a cross we have made her bear. And then Maureen McCormick says, We had no idea which episodes would take on a life of their own or which lines would be repeated for decades. To me, the episode entitled entitled Her Sister's Shadow was just one of many. None of us had any idea that that line, written by veteran comedy scribe Ben Starr, would take on a life of its own. Ever since the show aired, I can legitimately say... All I ever hear is Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I'm serious. People in airports I have passed have passed me and said, Hi, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Waitresses have asked, What can I get you, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha? And I've heard it in bathrooms, the grocery store on Fox News, and they used to say, about well, poor Marsha Clark. Marsha Clark, I yeah. was going to say. Uh... I've heard it adapted to Martha Stewart, Martha, Martha, Martha. I lost track long ago of the number of women who have stopped me and said, I'm sorry to bother you, but can I just say it? So that's See, I wouldn't, shame. if I saw Maureen McCormick on the street, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't but say But I will Marf. say, whenever I hear the name Marsha, not unlike whenever I hear pork chops and or applesauce. Sauce. And or applesauce. And or. Well, not applesauce so much as. Well, well I'm saying me, not you. And it makes me I'm wish I could what, eat them. I'm saying oh. what I think. Yes, I think of the food too. Poor but Marcia. it is funny because people do think, I think that it was. Sad all the all time. time. And like we said, every time we had an episode that had that theme, which there are many, we thought it was that one, and it wasn't. Like the wig one. And the, Right. Uh, it, it, well, because there are many where Jan has man. this issue. But this is the first one where her psychosis really comes out. It with does. The, the, the voices. voices I don't head. think we've heard the voices before. Oh. And so, next week, we're going to be talking oh, about yes. Season 3, Episode 13, the Not-So-Rose-Colored Glasses. Ooh, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. The Teeter-Totter Caper. Big Little Man. Ooh. ooh. Dough, spelled like dough. Like yep. like, like money dough. or bread. do Ray Me. Jan's Aunt Jenny. Mm. Mm, intriguing. The Big Bet. So that's what we're going to be talking about next time. Yes. And if you want to converse with us in any way, you can reach <laughs> us at groovy podcast at gmail.com you, you can, can we have a website which yep, is groovy that has all our contact info and and you can email us through that too we have a facebook page if you do a search for GroovyTube, it'll come up groovy Tube pod i think it is our podcast but if you just do GroovyTube, it, it comes, comes up. up our twitter account groovy Tube pod you can also on our website subscribe and go on itunes and rate and review us please rate review so until next time yeah. Thanks, yeah. and stay groovy.